When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Just have resting <laughs> fart face. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. One, two, three. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. With Rami. Third and two, time for Cousins, going deep, he's got Diggs, that's a touchdown, what a play, Diggs got it, 54 yards, first and 10, it's Cousins, and he'll throw, and he's got Rudolph, and he's got an open path to the end zone, Minnesota's got their first lead. You guys can as hard on me as you want, uh, I'm living a dream. I'm well compensated. You got to take the good with the bad, right? If that means pressure and there's weight and there's expectations that sometimes are unfair, that comes with the territory. Welcome to uh, to maybe living life at a at a higher altitude than I used to. So, sure, I would love to have all the credit and none of the blame, like Michael Scott says in the office. But uh, it doesn't work that way. And uh, if anything, I'd like to be able to set an example for my teammates of what it should look like to take blame and to point the finger at yourself and to own up. I think that when you do that, you can you can send a message to people about you know how, how you should handle it. Kirk Cousins responding to the fact that he's probably under a brighter light and a, and a, and a larger microscope than Except most for me. quarterbacks. Except for me. I do the opposite of what he just said. When he said all the credit and none of the, and none of the blame, I give him very little of the credit and very little of the blame. It's about what's happening around Kirk Cousins. Great. You've you've excused all of his bad games, all of his bad quarters, and so I've dismissed his good ones. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally the opposite of what he I just, just said. To, I just told Sage on Purple Daily, like when when I say Kirk Cousins isn't to blame for a loss, I'm the Kirk hater. When I say he doesn't get all the credit for a win, or no, I'm sorry, when I say he doesn't get credit for a loss, I'm the yeah. Kirk lover, the Kirk defender. When I say he doesn't get credit for a win, I'm the hater. My take on Kirk Cousins is the coldest, most neutral take a person can have on Kirk Cousins. It <laughs> actually, really is. Actually, Kirk Cousins want... is there, but uh, who knows about him. <laughs> I want to go on this path for a second. By the way, uh, if, you're, if you're tuning in live and you're wondering, wait a second, what, what, what's, what's Mackie doing now? What are these clowns doing? Uh, this is the bye week. Matthew Collar needs to take a couple days off, just like the Vikings rest up. Mm-hmm. Judd Zolgad's uh, on a bye week. But this Collar's is grinding tape. Let's be real. He probably is. He's probably and on surfing right PFF. Now. Yeah, he's probably watching a 1994 Bears Vikings game or something. <laughs> but this little little bonus, Mackie and Judd with Rami uh, minus Judd. He's going to be actually. I think he's going to be in New York hanging out, drinking uh, drinking East Coast beers. Yeah. Oh, okay. Him and the him and the wife taking a little East Coast trip. He does that every once in a while, huh? Yeah. Bye week is a big vacation week for Judley. I'm gonna sidetrack us for a second. I'm gonna sidetrack us from the sidetrack that I just sidetracked us to. Um, I, I plan on like doing a little bit of traveling next year. I'm, I paid off some debt this year. Blah blah blah. And uh, New York isn't really on my list, dude. I don't know. Like I hate Broadway. 
I'm not really into plays. If I went to New York, I just want I just want to go to TV tapings. I just want to go like see Colbert, SNL, Seth Meyers, whatever. You, you don't want to. You don't want. First of all, a million great restaurants. By the way, I though, can, if, I can if, find great restaurants without paying the New York prices and dealing with all that traffic. I would say if you're looking for big city vibe, great food. We're there. There's we're, a lot. Of, there's a lot of great, more economical options than New York. Right. Exactly. I mean, the Twin Cities. Yeah. Great. Uh, Chicago. Right. Be a great little spot. Like New York is great. I'm not saying anything wrong with New York. It's just to me, not a place I really want to visit. My guess is, my guess is, Don drags Judd to one or two plays. Uh-huh. Which, by the way, I'm in on the plays. So. I'm okay with a play. And Judd guaranteed a musical. Write this down. Write this down. Okay. <laughs> Judd drags Don to Madison Square Garden at least once. For what? Hockey, basketball, could it's be anything. Be a hockey game. Either You're the Rangers. Watch the Knicks. I'm just saying. Don't go to MSG, Madison though. Square Garden. Don't spend at Madison least Square Garden money to see the Knicks. I'm just writing this down. Make okay. sure we have this. Please do <laughs> on file here. Okay. Don't we do this every time he goes to New York, though? Not the Madison Square Garden prediction. Oh, that he just goes. We usually just do. He's going to go see a hockey game. But uh, that's my prediction. They're going right. to Madison Square Garden. All right. So, all right. Uh, I was perusing through the You're last couple days. You're about to say days. something about my cold, neutral take on Kirk yeah. Cousins. Okay. Yeah. All so right. our YouTube page is uh, clips of Purple Daily, Vikings Vent Line. Mm-hmm. And if you're not subscribed, we just, we're pumping out daily YouTube content. So go check it out. YouTube.com slash score north. So much content. And the main criticism of Purple Daily and Vikings Vent Line is, and so mostly Danny, Judd, Matthew, Courtney Cronin, mm-hmm. even Sage Rosenfeld's Alex, Alex Boone, is that... They never give 100% credit to Kirk Cousins. Mm-hmm. That, that, that it's never just a completely clean compliment to Kirk Cousins. That uh, it's always got to be, well, what's the next box that he needs to check? And, uh, well, it wasn't all Kirk. He had help from blank, blank, and blank to lift him up in a victory in the second half against the Bills, right? And that drives me nuts. So as a guy who has definitely done an about face on Kirk Cousins in the oh, last yeah, month or have. so, like he's him and him and Wiggins, he's been great. Well, now Wiggins, I told you going into the season. Well, yeah, but it's a complete about face. Wiggins, what you've been saying, true. And it drives me nuts when people can't work in the gray area. When it, like it's either it's either uh, you got to be one hundred percent complimentary of Kirk, or you have to be one hundred percent trashing him when they lose. And I think. The criticism of Kirk Cousins was warranted for his entire career in primetime against winning teams on the road in tough situations. And I think the praise is also warranted. But I also think like you do have to acknowledge the things that you've been acknowledging, Rami, which are he's got some awesome weapons around him. He's got some defensive help once in a while. His offensive makes line his job is a little easier. bit better. He's in a scheme and system that fits mm-hmm. him better than what it was year one here in Minnesota. My stance on quarterbacks at large in the NFL is at any given time, there is five to seven who are going to be good no matter what. You can drop them in any situation, and they're going to be great QBs. Then there's five to seven who are going to be terrible no matter what, and the teams are fooling themselves starting that guy under center Sunday to Sunday. Everybody else in the middle, every other quarterback in the middle of those two categories that I just said are Kirk Cousins. They'll be good if they're in the right situation, if they have the right pieces around them, if they have the right coach, if they have the right system, and they have the right scheme. That's almost every quarterback in the NFL at any given time. Well, I shouldn't say almost any given quarterback, but that's about two-thirds of the quarterbacks in the NFL at any given time, in my opinion. So this is a good segue into what we, we're going to start the show with here. And I, So did, did you go over this SI.com article with Sage Rosenfeld? Yes. 
I find this fascinating. And I, let's go through this exercise here and pay attention to where Kirk Cousins falls in this conversation. So SI.com, uh, it, it, it's a great piece if you just want if you're if you want to sort of read up on uh, the future of quarterback play in the NFL and the changing landscape right now. The theme is after the season of high-powered, high-scoring offense last year, defenses are catching up in 2019. And it's no secret that a generation of quarterbacks are about to see their NFL careers come to an end. Where do teams go from here? So obviously, Andrew Andrew Luck was part of the new generation, but his career was over. Eli Manning, done. Big Ben has flirted with retirement for a couple years. Phillip Rivers has seven interceptions in the last two weeks. Just garbage and probably not going to play much longer. Um, Drew Brees coming to the end of it. I'm not retiring if I'm Philip Rivers, just because there are too many children at home. <laughs> too much. <laughs> just too many. The grocery bill alone. You just don't yeah, want to go aggressive. back to it, or the money it's going to cost is going to be oh, enormous. Just, that's 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 got to be a chaotic house. That's just a chaotic Dude, house. That guy. It's it's. Why such, do you think it, he lives in San Diego and travels? <laughs> up to, it's so genius. it's so high maintenance for them to think about moving that family that he drives two hours. Actually, has a driver drive him two hours to work. And then two hours back. Dude, there are guys. Day. There are guys who go to work. I had a neighbor when I lived with my parents in Wisconsin who was out doing lawn work to a point where it, you, it was clearly pointless. You had just done this. You didn't need to do this again. You just don't like your family. Like you just don't. He's cutting just, the grass with the scissors. You just, you just watered those bushes, dude. You just watered those bushes. Go talk to your wife. Go in your house and talk to your wife. So that's Philip Rivers. <laughs> yes. It's like, dude, you've already, you've already watched the film for yeah. ten straight days. Philip Rivers is like, I could, I could go home, or I could keep throwing interceptions. Philip, why I'll are you keep throwing interceptions? Phil, why are you, uh, why are you watching Cowboys film? <laughs> Don't even play the Cowboys. But this is a list of ESPN's QBR rankings right now, and I'm going to take out the old guard. Okay, so this is how do quarterbacks rank right now, and I'm going to take out Rivers. Big Ben obviously hasn't mm-hmm. played. Eli hasn't really played. I'm going to take out Breeze, Tom Brady, and Andrew Luck is out. And what does the landscape of quarterback rankings look like right now, and where does Kirk fall? It's really interesting. The top five is about what you would expect. It's Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, maybe a little higher than people would have thought, uh, Pat Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson. Like That's a pretty good yeah. snapshot of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL right now. By the way, also, all five African-American very interesting to note. I think we've come a long ways in the last 30 years of quarterbacking. Yes. For that to be your top five list yes. right there. The NFL determined in 2019 that oh, black like, people indeed can and play can indeed play quarterback. Yeah. What what congratulations, NFL. <laughs> well done, NFL. Lamar, ja- really Lamar Jackson isn't just a running back. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. The next five, Matthew Stat again, this is without Brady Breeze, the the the, the the old guard that SI.com refers to off this list. Matthew Stafford, Carson Wentz, Kirk Cousins, Matt Ryan, and you could even maybe take him off this list too, and Kyler Murray. Your next five, so this is this will round out the top half of the rankings according to ESPN's QBR. Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, Aaron Rodgers, who I think is going to play for another five or six years. Jacoby wow, Brissett. they have Aaron Rodgers all the way down there, huh? But this is QBR. This isn't like a subjective ranking. Sure. This is like, okay. the, this is qu- their quarterback rating with context included. Right. How'd you play on third down? This is total quarter, QBR. Right? ESPN's total QBR. Yep. This okay. is what we use to right. uh, do our quarterback cesspool challenge. Yes. Basically. Right. Uh, so uh, Derek Carr, 11. Jimmy G, 12. Aaron Rodgers, 13. Brissett, 14. Daniel Jones, 15. 16 is Jameis Winston. So let's stop there. 
What this is telling you is the average quarterback in the NFL right now is Jameis Winston Oof. or Daniel Jones when Oof. you get rid of the old guard. Yikes. And then you got Baker Mayfield, Teddy Bridgewater, Gardner Minshew, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Jared Goff, who's taken a bunch of steps back, Mitch Trubisky. So my point here is Teddy Bridgewater. I'm not doing this because of my Teddy Bridgewater take. I'm not trying to stoke those fires or troll anybody. He's that low. I'm saying that genuinely surprised. Yeah, he's, he's that low. He's uh, 17th on on this list of QBR. Okay, so he's got nice weapons around him in New Orleans. Sure, it's very nice. Uh, but what this tells you is right now, if you take out the old guard, the average quarterback in the NFL is basically Jameis Winston or Daniel Jones, and then you look below that, and it's whoa, it's a bunch of guys with the last name Allen who are terrible. Uh, it's Sam Darnold. There's guys with upside on this list. It's Baker Mayfield. And it tells you that Kirk Cousins is very, very solidly a top 10 quarterback, minus Tom Brady, minus Drew Brees, et cetera. Based on total QBR. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, it's. A, I think that's a pretty good... Would but, you like drastically change anything you heard there? Maybe move Aaron Rodgers up? Yeah, I was going to say. To me, you have to combine stats like, metrics like total QBR and the eye test. Like, I sit down every Sunday and I watch football and I'll tell you right now, give me Aaron Rodgers over Kirk Cousins. Oh, 100%. Exactly. I agree. So, I mean, so even if we move Kirk Cousins down, Aaron Rodgers up, maybe you move... uh, Kirk is somewhere in the 10 range. I'll give you that. He's somewhere in the 10 to 12 range. We can can bicker and debate over where in that range, but I think we both agree somewhere in the 10 to 12 range, right? And yes. So let's put him at 9 or 10. Let's Let's put him 10, okay? All right. Let's say he's the tenth. When you get rid of Bre- 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 uh, Breeze, Brady, et cetera, Big Ben, he's like the tenth best quarterback. So, is there anyone that would be cheaper, more on the upside, that you would look at and say, "Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a better gamble than Kirk Cousins." And right now, like this is the conundrum you have right now. Even though there's some frustrating things about him, and there's definitely some games that you'd want to have back, the Bears game, the Packers game. You're looking at a guy who probably for the next three to five years, based on the landscape of the NFL, is a top 10 quarterback or a fringe top 10 quarterback. And that's a pretty nice bird to have in your hand. Give me some of the names that were below him in the next tier. Because I'm just, I want to try and figure out if there are any young quarterbacks who I expect to develop into better QBs than Kirk Cousins because you have to factor that in. And you got to think that there is one or two in the draft in the next couple of years who will be better quarterbacks than Kirk Cousins and, sure. and and push them down a peg, right? Sure. You also have to consider Brady, Breeze, some of these guys might be retiring in the next few years, which opens up a slot for Kirk Cousins. If we're looking at the future in the next few coming years of the quarterback position around the NFL. And that's and that's the point of this exercise to me is when those guys retire Kirk Cousins is still going to be in his quarterbacking prime when he's 32, 33 years sure. old. Like that's still your quarterbacking prime right. in today's age. When those guys retire, is there anyone behind him on this list or that hasn't been drafted yet That'll leapfrog that him? for sure leapfrogs him in the next two or three years? Because these are things you have to consider when you're deciding, all right, his contract's up after next year. So I'll go through some of those names. All right, These are guys behind him. Uh, and I'll go through just some of the... How many of these guys do you think are very much going to leapfrog Kirk Cousins? Gotcha. Kyler Murray, I would say yes. I think yeah. so, yes. Derek Carr. Hmm, Not a guarantee. No. Maybe. Jimmy Garoppolo. He's very Kirk Cousins-like to me. And like I said, there's about 20 of these in the league at any given time. Yeah. It's what's around him. Yeah. Derek Carr could be better than Kirk Cousins, put in the right situation. But, I mean, there's to me, Kyler Murray is, okay, Like that guy's going to jump Kirk yes. Cousins at some point. Yes. I don't know if Derek Carr is. Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, I think so. I don't know if it's a guarantee. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is also in the Kirk Cousins range. 
Yeah, probably. I can see where you're coming from. I won't even say that one for sure. Kyler Murray is the only one I'll say for sure yet. Jacoby Brissett, will he leapfrog Kirk Cousins? I can't say that for sure either. Will Daniel Jones leapfrog Kirk Cousins? I don't know that. Jameis Winston? No. He's bad at football. Teddy Bridgewater. Starting next year? I think Teddy Bridgewater is a flavor. Like I would I would prefer Bridgewater <laughs> over a lot of these other guys. Maybe Kirk Cousins too. But is he guaranteed to leapfrog Kirk Cousins? I don't think so. Probably need to see a little bit more, right? Baker Mayfield. No. I'm not out on Baker Mayfield Dude. just yet. He is a I'm clown not. show. I, I understand. He's, he's he's got his he's got his flaws. I, under, I understand the, where you're coming from. He's got the talent, but if he can just focus on being a quarterback instead of focusing with bickering with uh, the Colin Cowards of the world, then right. Yeah, maybe he can jump up. Dude, but he's so until re- he can just focus on solely being a quarterback, then I don't trust him. There's like everyone's got an ego when you're if you're a quarterback in the NFL, yeah. everyone has an ego, but his ego controls his every action and word. And guys like Tom Brady can kind of swallow it and be leaders. Aaron Rodgers can kind of... Aaron Rodgers also has a little bit of that, but he can swallow it and be a leader. Baker Mayfield can't. And I don't know if you just... I don't know if that changes overnight. I think you either... You can either swallow your ego or you can't. Um, Gardner Minshew, Sam Darnold, or any of the guys with the last name to Allen. No. No. Are they going to jump Kirk Cousins? So really, you came up with one that we can say... Jared Goff? We think for sure. No. Uh, Jared Goff is Kirk Cousins. Jared Goff is... Is Kirk Cousins like yeah. in a time machine? He went back like six years. So the only other guys out there would be: Is there anyone who hasn't been drafted yet in the next two or three years that you would say is going to leapfrog Kirk Cousins? Injury pending, I would have said Tua before this last weekend, and maybe Trevor Lawrence from Clemson. Those are the only two guys that, based on what I've seen in college, I would give them a chance. Yeah, that I would say, yeah, that guy's probably going to be better than Kirk Cousins. So let's let's just say maybe there's one guy, whoever it is, there's one guy in the next two or three years that just instantly clicks. Yeah. So basically, he's going to be in that ten range. He's going to stay in that ten range here over the next few years. That's the context, isn't that? When you play out that exercise, you start to all right, who's going to leapfrog him as the guard changes, and even with a couple guys leapfrogging him, the Vikings have on their hands right now about the tenth best quarterback but in the NFL. That's assuming. That they keep the pieces around him and keep the system around him that has made him so successful these last six or seven weeks. And there's a couple guys on this list. It's completely contingent on that. 100%. If the pieces around him start to crumble, would it be better to have a more mobile quarterback who could get away from a bad offensive line, could make plays happen, get an extra 50 yards? Let's say somebody hires away Kevin Stefanski this year. Stephon Diggs wants to be traded again in the offseason. Do I think Kirk Cousins is a top 10 quarterback at that point? I got questions. I got some serious questions. Wouldn't you? Yeah. But I also wouldn't just jump immediately to any of the guys below him on the list. That's the that's the thing. Like, Go ahead, Jonathan. Maybe you're going to get to this point eventually, but does that change how you view what you're going to do with Cousins at the end of his contract? Yes. This list? It makes me much more likely to re-sign him to a multi-year contract extension. Having said the exact opposite one month ago, I don't. When you process it this way, you don't want to be left without a chair in the game of musical chairs, and you don't want to. You, you, you know, the grass is always greener. Well, if you, you just you, you got to find someone who's better in the blank moments, right? I mean, that's right. that's the criticism. You got to find somebody who can rise up and elevate more often and do what he did against Denver more often. Well, that's great in theory and it's great on paper, but I would just say, and I'm saying it to myself more than almost anybody else, because I've been the one saying, I just can't do this beyond the length of this contract. It's not worth it. 
Um, and I'm not saying it's 100%. I, I need to know what the other options are when his contract is up. But when looking at the landscape and looking at the bottom half of these starting quarterbacks and then the guys who are coming in, like it's nice to have a surefire 10th or 11th best quarterback in the NFL. David tweets in, and this, this is this is my sticking point in answering Jonathan's question just now in terms of how I handle Kirk Cousins' contract after this exercise that we just went through. Because I understand the point of this segment, but it's a money thing for me. I think with the right system, a much cheaper QB could give you similar results. 2017 is a perfect example. Kirk Cousins is giving I don't agree with the 2017 part. Kirk Cousins is giving you better results than you would have gotten if Case Keenum was playing in this same exact situation with Stefanski, Kubiak, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. But he's got a point when he says, I think in the right, with the right system, a much cheaper QB gives you similar results. Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go into free agency looking for a guy who's not in the same tier as Kirk Cousins right now and assuming we'll get more out of him. That's, that's a fool's errand. That and I don't I don't that's 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 a bad road to go down because he might not. Yeah. But I'm gonna stick to what I said when we started this segment about Kirk Cousins, which is he is exactly as good or as bad as what's going on around him. Can I draft somebody who on a rookie contract can do what Kirk Cousins has done for you? I think you can. I think if you draft him this coming off season, give him a season to develop and digest the playbook. You can plug a guy into this offense two years from now and get what you're getting out of Kirk Cousins. You can find a Kirk Cousins in the draft. I think what you're talking about is the difference between a Lamar Jackson that you hit a home run with in the draft. Right. Or a Mitchell Trubisky. Because if you plug in Mitchell Trubisky, he's not he's the Vikings have two or three more losses than they do than they do right now. I I hear what you're saying. I don't want to have that debate. I hear what you're saying. I disagree, and I want to have that debate, so put a different name on it. I actually think you're shortchanging Kirk a little bit. I'll put a different name on it that I think you will will make you think of this in a different way. Teddy Bridge. Let's say you could draft Teddy Bridgewater again. So I get him for less money you than get, Kirk makes? On a, on a rookie contract. Let's say there is a Teddy Bridgewater in college right now. You could draft that guy, develop him for a year, and he could do what Kirk Cousins is doing. I agree with that. This is where the money comes in. Exactly. In this hypothetical conversation. I don't want to go and spend free agent money to get what I got out of Kirk Cousins because you're going to pay Kirk Cousins like prices. I'll stick with what I know if that's the case. But if I can get Kirk Cousins production on a rookie level contract, give me that all day. Yeah. And I think you can find that by the, the way, right scouting. A bunch of people tweeting us on this here. Uh, it's kind of just kind of a fun exercise going through. SI.com essentially wrote uh, today about the changing landscape of quarterbacks and how you got a bunch of old guard guys who are going to be retiring in the next year or two or just forced to not be starters anymore. And what does that leave the landscape looking like? And it it moves Kirk Cousins up the rankings. And it probably makes him a solid top 10, if not top 8 quarterback. Miguel in Minneapolis, our buddy Miguel tweets into the show, at Phil Mackey, at Rami is tweeting, at Jay Zolgad. This topic is the reason Washington didn't pay him for the long term. They couldn't figure out this guy. Kirk is an old-style quarterback stuck in the pocket, and that's not the guy you need in this NFL. But again, in a vacuum, you can say that. But when you look around and you see that there's going to be like 12 or 15 teams in the next two or three years looking for a quarterback, you'd rather have Kirk Cousins than nothing. And you'd rather have Kirk Cousins than Mitch Trubisky or Baker Mayfield, in my opinion, right now. But then when you look at the top quarterbacks in the NFL, and it's a very, very 
a similar model of quarterback in terms of mobility, big arm, right? Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Pat Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. Those guys can throw the ball 60 yards down the field, and they can run for 100 yards if they need to. Kirk Cousins can throw the ball down the field, but... He's not going to do much running. But but what I'm saying is, if you're measuring Kirk Cousins up against Lamar Jackson and saying, well, I mean, you got to get... You got to get one of those cars. No, that's okay. That's one agreed. It'd be great to have that's one right, of those cars. Exactly. And by the way, you could have drafted that car. Anyone could have used the thirty-second pick in the draft a couple of years ago. Uh, you got. You got to be careful. Yes, we'd all love to have that Ferrari, but how many are available? And what is your car good it's enough? A limited edition. Correct. Not many of those are coming off the line. <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Although they, they're handcrafted, there have been some and. Uh, the Vikings and also your Bears have passed on them. Yes, they the have. Draft, so. Yes, they have. <laughs> it's not that they haven't been available. Uh, by the way, it's poll yesterday. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. What did res- you What did you learn about your the results poll are still coming in? <laughs> are they? The results are still filtering in. Let me put a Thanksgiving food poll up that backfired. I mean, hundred percent. It didn't totally backfire. <laughs> it kind of It kind of proved what I was trying to say. Go ahead, I, explain I, to the it? audience a little bit. I said yesterday on the show we were having the debate of whether or not. Mac and cheese is something that belongs on a Thanksgiving table and in our Thanksgiving bracket. By the way, did we put those brackets up yet? I sent them to Seth this morning. I don't know. I don't know. Um, And I think it falls along. Now, I'll admit I might be slightly off, and I'll explain in a second. But I said yesterday that I think it falls along racial lines. And by the way, that's not playing the race card. I was accused of playing the race card. I wasn't accusing anybody of racism. I mean, uh, that's playing the race card when you accuse somebody of racism. I don't know, man. You asked the room. Just, just, if acknowledge, we like, just acknowledging our differences is not racism. We're, we're, people are different. Cultures I mean, are different. You asked us if we have mac and cheese on our Thanksgiving table. We said no, and then you lashed out and called I, racism. I did not call racism. <laughs> I said I think this falls along racial lines. I said I, I think I think white people don't have mac and cheese on their Thanksgiving table. So I put a poll out and asked which of these describes you white and have mac and cheese on the Thanksgiving table, white and no mac and cheese on the Thanksgiving table, not white and have mac and cheese on the Thanksgiving table, not white and no mac and cheese on the Thanksgiving table. And um the most telling result of this poll is that my followers are very, very white. <laughs> Very white. <laughs> I checked the poll last super night. Super white. There's nothing like, wrong with that. White is fine, that guy. But super white. There were like 250 responses last night when I checked. Dude. And literally only 3% of them were non-white. 1,136 votes. 94% of the voters are white. <laughs> that's over a thousand. I think that's over a thousand of you who that's voted. What, that's what happens when you're stuck in Wisconsin for 12 years. <laughs> Not a lot of diversity. <laughs> Welcome to the Twin Cities, though. Holy crap, but... Now, and you can still go and vote. I'd appreciate the vote of some of my fellow people of color slash minorities, if you are so inclined, at Rami is tweeting. There's two hours left in the voting. I want a measurable sample size, but among white folks, 74% of you have no mac and cheese on the Thanksgiving table. I think that kind of... Now, it doesn't totally prove no, my need, assertion no, correct. No, we, we need the other half of the sample to say. I'm telling you... Just through anecdotal de- evidence, I can tell you. Oh, I wanted to ask Sage about this. I forgot to ask Sage about this. But via my own anecdotal evidence, I'm telling you, this falls a lot. The anecdotal evidence plus the data that we have here, I can pretty definitively say that it falls along racial barrier. And there's nothing wrong with that. Now we know how 538.com 
<laughs> operates. And Jonathan, tell him what a caller said yesterday that we couldn't take because we had Patrick Royce on the phone. So a caller called in and said that he hadn't ever had mac and cheese and never heard of it. He moved down to North Carolina for a job. On Thanksgiving, on right? Thanks- yeah, on Thanksgiving. Okay. Went to a neighbor's house, and it was there. And he's like, what? What is this? And so there was a conversation. So if you're south of the Mason-Dixon and this, line. This here. is where I was saying I might be slightly off with my hypothesis. It might be a north-south thing. Now, don't ask me how it ended up on our table, but it might be a north-south thing, and it's more popular in the south than it is in the north. Just, just for the record, even though I have never been to a family gathering with mac and cheese on the Thanksgiving table, mm-hmm. I'm not against it. Mm-hmm. If somebody got a couple gatherings coming up next week, if somebody wants to tinker with it, I'm in. All right. A couple people tweeted of- me, and I, I did kind of know this. There's a, sort of a tradition in Italian households where there's there's a big old pan of lasagna on the table, and I could get down with that on Thanksgiving. For sure, yes. I'm here for that. Yes, with, with that. turkey in it, or all they, day. They don't no, even, just no, man. Just give me lasagna. Real Italians aren't making turkey lasagna. Come on. So you're saying that Italians just treat it like Thursday? <laughs> <laughs> just, just serving lasagna. Right. <laughs> now that is playing the race card, and as one eighth Italian. I am one-eighth offended by what you just said. <laughs> Mackie and Judd with Rami. Bonus Mackie and Judd with Rami today with uh, Matthew Collar taking some time off during the bye week. By the way, you can find Purple Daily anywhere you find podcasts. Apple, Spotify, the Score North app is a great place. Same goes for all of our Score North shows, including Mackie and Judd with Rami. We're going to get some, uh, some, some bonus hot stove discussion with Derek Wetmore from the Score North Twin Show when we come back Did later. Did watch his movie? Are we going to the movies with Derek? We are, we are not going oh, to the okay. movies, Derek. He he saw that you were off Score North Live, and so he did not watch Rounders ah, last night. Okay, right. uh, I feel like not watching Rounders last night is a mistake for anybody. You should fire him. I might. We'll bring him in here next. See what happens. <laughs> fire him live on the air. Twins hot stove and <laughs> Derek gets fired for next. Rami. Jonathan here with the Score North download for this hour. You can download the Score North mobile app and make sure you register for listening rewards. This month, one lucky app user will win a $200 Visa gift card just for having that mobile app. All you have to do is download the app, register the app, and enter through listening rewards, and you can enter for your chance to win a $200 Visa gift card just for having the mobile app. PJ Fleck talked to the media yesterday and gave us a little bit of an update on his quarterback's progress coming back from an injury? You know, making progress, but he's in protocol, right? So that's all out of my hands. That's up to our medical staff and our trainers who are doing a great job. They did a great job on the sideline on Saturday as well, noticing him and making making him go down. You know, a lot of people are sitting there telling me that I'm making a faking an injury and having a guy go down. I mean, that's that's ridiculous, right? Why would I want my starting quarterback to go down so he has to come out so I can put the true freshman in? That doesn't make any sense. Um and, but uh, I was really proud of our medical staff of seeing that to make him go down. And I wasn't about to run back on the field. So I'm um, just glad that everybody saw it. We could uh, get him the help that he needed. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Mackie and Judd with Rami. But before we do that, oh, look at we that. have... You just stepped off the rubber there. <laughs> we have a pair of tickets for Gophers Wisconsin Hockey this Friday to give away... For the third caller at the phone line. I don't have it in here. What is... Oh, 651-646-8255. 651-646-8255. Third caller. Third caller. You can go to a Gopher hockey game. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan Harrison. Uh, Derek Wetmore is in here from the Scornorth Twin Show. Hello. And maybe more famously from Scornorth Lives, Derek Goes to the Movies. That's right. It's a hit. It's a sensation. Yeah. Sweeping the nation. And Probably put me on the map. And we're going to ask you for your hottest Twins hot stove take or opinion here in just a second, but... 
as a guy who has not immersed himself in movie watching in your three decades on Earth, nearly yes. three decades, uh, how has it been now being a movie aficionado you know, on Rami's show? I'm pulling quotes out of nowhere <laughs> for situations, like around, not just on the air, but like around the hallways here at Score North. And people are like, wow, look at you. So you're like connecting with salespeople now. It's ways. really weird. It's like there's this whole other universe of human connection that exists. You're like a robot. Just having <laughs> like the humans. I get to talk with humans about movies. <laughs> Drop a Tommy wherever. That was close. <laughs> and people are like, he's a funny guy. Yeah. Thanks. Our pets' heads are falling off. <laughs> Am I doing this right? I'm teaching you how to be more human. It's okay. I'm a limo driver. <laughs> That's the best line of that movie. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Connecting with people, it's fun. I, 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 it's like top five most excited I've been since we started Score North back in January. Yes. Was when I heard that the movie assigned to Derek for today, and we shuffled some things around today so Rami could work with uh, Sage Rosenfels on Purple Daily. Doogie filled in on Score North Live, but I was so pumped when I heard that Derek was assigned my favorite movie of all time, <laughs> Rounders, that I watched Rounders last night in preparation because I was like, I oh, know Rami's not on Score North Live, but let's just do the segment yeah. on Mackie and Joe with Rami. Anybody's, this invite morning, you, I, anybody's invited. If it's a movie that they love, anybody on the Score North staff is invited in right. to, to the TCL Broadcast Studios to give their input. But you didn't watch it. Didn't watch it last night. Oh. No, because we were shuffling it up, and I thought, oh, you know what? Let's save that for when Rami's in and, and in that chair, and it's me and Rami and Manny. We could welcome in Phil because he's seen the movie 200 times. I'm not exaggerating in that. You told us that in the commercial break. 200 times. Um, but she's never seen Star Wars. Yeah, too that's bu- a, Too busy watching rounds. Yeah. <laughs> not sure you allocated your watching resources there appropriately. But uh, Score North Live, without you, I'm sorry that you weren't there, Rami, but it was super fun today. I sat in for the second hour with Doogie. Mm-hmm. Ray's reliever, former Twins farmhand Nick Anderson, was in studio for like a full hour. Okay, so that And guy- then we got out of studio and we were just chit-chatting and all like, He was just... He was fantastic. To he dance he turned five. into so he's from he's from what St. Cloud area. He's from up um, north somewhere. Yeah, I'm like trying Brainerd to remember. Area. Where yeah, Brainerd area. I'm trying to remember exactly where he was. Uh, where he but calls home. He's 29, and it's worth going back and listening to, to his story with you guys on Scrum Live today. But uh, he was essentially one of the twins' rising relievers throughout the last four or five years, and he, so he was just left exposed to the Rule 5 draft. That's yeah. Because he turned into one of the best relievers in baseball last year. Yes. Struck out like two guys an inning or something ridiculous. It was this time last year that he was one of those bubble candidates. Are the twins going to protect him, or is he going to be open to Rule 5? Marlins were going to take him in the Rule 5. Some some worked out that they, they traded for him. Actually, the twins just worked out a trade. Hey, this guy's not going to make our protect list. So he goes to Miami, pitches so well for Miami that he's a trade day deadline target for the race who were postseason bound. And they gave up like a legit prospect to get him. And then he pitched in the postseason, eight strikeouts, no walks. He was uh, one of their best pitchers on that staff. And he's not a household name yet. Like in, in super nerd baseball circles, he is. But next year, that guy's going to make an all-star team and he will be a household name. Strikeout stuff, big time fastball, and just like as humble as it could possibly be. So it was really cool to get to talk to him with uh, with Doogie during Score North Live today. I mean, so do the twins? That's one that got away. That's what I was going to ask. I saw where your face. I feel like there are a few of those when we talk about relievers. I mean, imagine how different that Twins bullpen looks last year. Ryan Presley Presley and Nick Nick Anderson Anderson in it. But but, I always forget the the dude's name in in Oakland. Liam Hendricks throwing fireballs. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) and Liam Hendricks has been gone for. 
I think he's been gone for like five or six years. But he's but literally throwing Super Mario World fireballs, They're just just fastballs at the top of the zone. He's uh, and he's got the the tail. He flies away, the raccoon tail or whatever. In Mario three. <laughs> <laughs> but That's so, do they just look at some of these guys? They say when, when they leave Nick Anderson, uh, you know, unprotected for the Rule Five draft. Are they thinking? Well, he's going to be good somewhere else, and someone's going to also unlock him. But we can pretty much unlock anybody. They unlocked Taylor no, Rogers, Tyler Duffy. I hear what you're saying. I think the cover may. I think the calculus is more along the lines of, okay, there's X number of spots. We have to protect these guys, and who's susceptible to getting taken in the Rule Five Draft? By the way, we'll see what happens uh, by the end of today. So, score North Twin Show later this week. I can talk about this, but the calculus isn't. Is this guy good? Here's an example. Wander Javier is a prospect that the Twins think highly of and the industry does. However, he's like, I'm top of my head, but I think he's like 18 years old. He's a skinny kid in A-ball who hit like a buck 80 last year or something like that. Is is that dude going to spend a full season on a major league roster somewhere else? No, probably not. So don't worry about it as much. Is that sort of calculus that you have to figure out if you're a team? And let's be truthful here, too. As great of a guy as Nick Anderson was today here in Score North, and as great as he was in the postseason march for the Rays, it's it'd be hard to foresee that coming 12 months ago. So congrats to him and the work that he put in to get to that spot, but I don't think this is really a Ryan Presley situation where it's like, man, this is obvious this dude's going to be a star. It's like he worked and pitched his way into becoming a star, and that's a really, that's a really tough roster choice for teams every single year. It's boring. It's not like as sexy. It doesn't get the headlines. No, it's arithmetic. Garrett Cole, but it's it's, it's roster a, arithmetic. It's a real thing in terms of when can we tap into this guy and 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 how does that fit in our timeline of winning? I don't know if they saw this coming. I don't know because if you do, you don't let that guy leave. You put him on the big league roster and he's in your bullpen and you figure it out. How many guys have you seen the Twins carry? And now I'm projecting a little bit because this includes Bill Smith and Terry Ryan. This is not just a Derek Falvey Twins. But how many guys have they kind of brought along and said, like, okay, well, we'll stash this guy at the back of the bullpen. And nice. he's fine. Rami, I'm sure the Cubs have done that over the years, the Brewers. Mm-hmm. Hey, this guy's going to be on the big league roster. But, like, I mean, he's not pitching in the ninth inning of close games. He's he's just he's on the roster, and then, then he's in our organization if we can keep him all the way through. Most teams don't make it to the finish line with that type of player unless they are ready to go. In the big leagues, for yeah, spring these guys, training. these guys bounce around until until they do until somebody does tap into it and they're ready for major league baseball. Yeah, like it's, it's 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 the meeting of those two things. Like you tap into it and he's ready for the major leagues because you could tap into it too early. Like you tell a guy what he needs to do, but he's still not quite sure. a major league talent. Sure. He's still developing to that or vice versa. Twins got Ryan Presley originally in a Rule Five pick from the Red Sox. Yeah, in 2013, kept him kept him up. He made it through. I think he spent some more time in the minor leagues, kind of figuring it out, ironing it out. Big fastball, big breaking ball. Loved his stuff, but just the strike zone was a bit of an issue for him. Fast forward, 2018, he was one of the best relievers in baseball. Like it's it's a winding path for some of these guys. But anyways, this is a long winded way of saying it was really cool to sit down with Nick Anderson, and he's really <laughs> made something out of his career. Uh, that's Derek Wetmore. You can find him on the Score North. Twin show three days a week during the offseason and some bonus episodes. The Monday episode with Patrick Royce. He also has an episode with Rami on Tuesdays, a hot stove episode with myself, Phil Mackey, on Thursdays. And if you're wondering 
Uh, if you're listening live right now and you're wondering where's Purple Daily, Purple Daily, Matthew Collar uh, taking a couple days off during the bye week, and so a little bit of bonus. Mackie and Jeb with Rami today. Alex Boone and Rami will do Purple Daily tomorrow. But Derek, uh, it's hot stove season. Hot stove season. The winter meetings are in about two and a half weeks or so, three weeks, and the twins have already been linked to. Several different, even Doogie was in here, and Doogie's reporting as of last week that Zach Wheeler was one of the first guys they reached out to in free agency. There's all kinds of available pitching. Whether it's pitching, hitting, give us your hottest Twins hot stove take. I spent some time thinking about this. I need qualification. I'm not buying time. I I think I have my answer. But like when you ask for a hot take, Phil... I assume there's some parameters. Like I can't just make this up, right? Like trade no. for Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. It has to be somewhat realistic, but it has to. But I have to, to believe it, it. We have to be taken aback a little bit. I can't just like I can't one just of make like it up. one of us has to gasp a little bit, including Jonathan. <laughs> My hottest twins take that I believe is that they need to spend significant resources this winter. To sign the best catcher on the market, Yasmani Grandal. Dan Hayes reporting, by the way, as of this week, that uh, even though they offered Yasmani Grandal last year, unlikely that they go down that path this year. I saw the report. But it's early. And I think some of it might depend on is Grandal still sitting out there in like February or March? Is he going to be the first guy to make him a priority? That's my hot take. But is it possible that. If his price tag comes down from twenty to twelve or fifteen in February or March, that they'd be more likely after they've accomplished a couple pitching checklist items. Yeah, maybe. Uh, other candidates for this hot take. Do you Garrett think they Cole? have real quick before you go? go ahead. Do you think they have the resources to sign Yasmani Grandal and do what we think they need to do with the pitching staff? Yeah, of course. Okay, of course. All right. They should have. Are they willing to spend those resources? Well, let's let me, let, let's flush this out. Yeah, sure. Because this is this is. Rami has hit on the sweet spot, and it's been a sore spot for a lot of Twins fans for a long time, probably since they moved into Target Field, or since they lost Johan Santana in 2007. The cheap poll ad narrative, or depending on, you know, de- depending on your point of view, the cheap poll ad reality for some people. If they have money to spend, or let's say, uh, uh, let's say a league average payroll is 140 million dollars, which would be the highest payroll that the Twins. Have ever started a season with? Are they willing to push their payroll beyond where it's been in the last ten years to put a potential championship product on the field? I think you have to. I, th- I think this is the off season where there's no more excuses or no more logical deduction of well, like the window might not be open until yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, so the like, open. like no, yeah. you can win a World Series right now. Yeah. The fans came back, revenues coming in. Um, so this is the off season to throttle yep. down, in my opinion. Will I can, they? I can tell you that the Twins are willing to do that, one hundred percent. Now, what's going to come down? It's it's really interesting because they might make what they decide to be the best baseball decision, and it might not be the most expensive. Like last year, they could have signed Bryce Harper. Max Kepler was a better deal. By like, you'd much rather have Max Kepler than Bryce Harper, unless you're talking about marketing. In which case you want the hair flips. But like Max Kepler's awesome and they got him for it's like five and thirty five million plus an option on that thing. Like the Max Kepler deal was a stroke of genius last year. And so would I rather if I'm a twins fan, would I rather they spend like thirty million dollars on somebody who's like pretty good and a big name, or would I rather they're just buying wins? And I think the twins are hyper willing to buy wins. 
and I think they're willing to stretch further than what they ever than they ever have before. This is what the tenth year of Target Field, something like that already. It's a, it'll be the eleventh year of Target geez. Field. Crazy with no yeah. roof. So I remember, <laughs> Ron, sorry, Jonathan, why don't you just pop him down? I couldn't not do that. Sit this, this, this one out, big guy. But that's that's crazy to me, and I think that they will stretch further if they deem it the right choice. They will stretch further than they ever have, which is why I considered giving you my hot take. The Twins should sign Garrett Cole. I get I get laughed at for writing that or tweeting that and why? Well, you get, why is it ridiculous? You get you get laughed at because people at, say at it'll no, never happen. At no point have the Twins ever been in on the top free agent. You can go down the line. The Minnesota Wild, there was a 4th of July 6 years ago where they signed the top 2 free agents. The Minnesota Vikings have gone out and they've landed Brett Favre and they traded for Jared Allen yep. and they've signed uh, I know it sounds ridiculous now, but when Bernard Berrien was the best free agent receiver, yeah. like they went no, out and said, Bleep oh, it. I remember him. They signed Kirk Cousins. Uh, now, the biggest difference is those leagues all have salary cap structures that the make the playing field completely equal. They traded for Sebastian Telfair and Ryan Gomes. <laughs> it's crazy. Ryan Gomes is a good little Swiss Army Knight but weren't player. They, weren't they in on you, Darvish, right till the end a couple of years ago? They yeah. were, but here's the narrative. But this is what people, This is this is something that frustrates me. They were. They offered a hundred plus million dollars over five years, is what I had heard behind the scenes to you, Darvish. The Cubs added a sixth year and another, like, what, $25 million. And the perception of people, not all people, but a lot of Twins fans is classic Twins. They make a fake offer or an offer that they know is going to be a low ball. Somebody else comes in with the actual offer, and then the Twins get to say, well, we tried. That is a major criticism of this franchise that still persists into yeah. this winter. The no, same exact thing was said about the same exact player when it comes to the Brewers, because they were in on you, Darvish, yeah. and they weren't willing to go the extra year or two that the Cubs did. Yeah, and we'll see how it plays out, but I, I get that as a, as a narrative. In fact, from the Twins, I might not float anymore that I was in on that guy. I might just be like, no, you know, if you're going to take our information and use it against us and weaponize it to say that we suck at our jobs... I'm going to stop giving you this information. It's like the natural human reaction. But when I say that the Twins should sign Garrett Cole, I mean that the financial resources are there and the player evaluation should be strong enough that this dude is a legit stud at the top of the market, not one of those pop-up, hey, he hit free agency at the right times. He's going to make about $35 million probably because that's the top of the pitching market. Sign right me now. up. I mean, now, if he has said or if Scott Boris has told you directly to your face, hey, you know what? Really appreciate your interest, and like we'll consider all offers, just so you know. Strong preference to pitch in Orange County. Well, okay, then what am I going to do? I'm not, can't relocate think, the franchise, but you think that quickly anyway. That aside, where he wants to live aside, you think they can legitimately throw as much money at him as the Yankees, Dodgers yeah. of the world? Yeah, this is a ridiculous um, premise right now that. All of these teams are just going to spend boatloads of money to go get big guys. Okay, the top of the free agent market is going to get paid. They're going to be rich. But point to me the eight teams that are definitely in at $30-plus million a year. And I'm not going to make you do it live on the air, but I've gone through this exercise, and it's hard. The Red Sox are trying to trade Mookie freaking bets. So yeah. that they can get a little more affordable. The Cubs have said they're not in on the goal, on the Coles and Strasburgs of the world. And they might trade Chris Bryant if you believe Bryant, some yeah. rumors. Like, these are banana pants baseball decisions. Like, I like the use of banana pants. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Stupid decisions. However, <laughs> they might pay off financially. 
And like, you might be a little bit worse, but you'll be more affordable. It's nice. And there's that old joke in the, in the baseball geeks on Twitter of which I count myself a card carrying member. Thank you very much. The Billy Bean makes 12 lateral moves to get slightly more affordable, but worse on the baseball field. And the nerds stroke their chin and say, Ah, yes, I see the master strokes at work. Nats, sign Max Scherzer for $200 million. The nerds throw up their arms and say, I don't get it. <laughs> it's like, dude, sometimes you do have to spend at the top of the market, and I don't see teams lining up to beat the Twins at that. Are they going to go seven years? I don't know. I'm not going down the reporting rabbit hole here on this. What I'm saying is, if it comes down to money over a term that you deem acceptable, you should absolutely be at the final poker table for a free agent like Eric. Cole. I think there is there's it's a pretty this, hot take. Th- this is the reality. No, I mean the okay, I mean the, the fact that you think the Twins are in on Garrett Cole. Is, also, yeah, oh, that's that's where you should have started. You buried the lead. You started with just Monty Grandal. If the Red Sox, Grandal's a superstar. Cops is recorded on location with the men and women of sports talk. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in hot take court. And, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, if the Red Sox are trading Mookie Betts, the Twins need to be on the phone. One year of Mookie Betts before he's a free agent, you're telling me you couldn't come up with a package that could get something done I there? I said this yesterday. It is not. People, one year of Mookie Betts, and the world knows the Red Sox want to trade him. Where's their leverage? It ain't going to cost you Royce Lewis. It's not. It's not costing you. One year of Mookie Betts. Teams are smart now. Teams aren't. There's a reason why Craig Kimbrell sits on the market till June. No one's going to give up for. I mean, there's. It's possible that like the San Diego Padres who do dumb stuff every winter just go bonkers and trade their top three prospects from for one year of Mookie Betts. Don't know. Um, but if you could give up something other than one of your top two or three prospects for Mookie Betts, and then maybe you can get creative and you move, you move Byron Buxton for pitching for Noah Syndergaard or something, um, and then Royce Lewis comes in and plays center field in two years and Mookie Betts' contract is up if you can't resign him. I mean, like that. I'm not. I think what I just laid out is hot take. Police like pull me over, but I think they should be thinking creatively. They should be thinking, all right, what's the if Eddie if if you got to trade one of your current players that you're not going to re-sign Miguel Sano, Eddie Rosario, and you can't one for one Eddie Rosario, you're not going to get a number one starter for Eddie Rosario. Can you trade Rosario for a prospect or two and then take? your pool of prospects, and go get John Gray from the Rockies. Like They should be thinking non-linearly about the moves that they can make in addition yeah. to free agent signings this winter. I like the Get idea creative. of trading for one and signing one. I like the idea of trading for a John Gray and then going out and swing for the fences with the Coles and the Strasburgs of the world. But if you end up with a, a Bumgarner or a Zach Wheeler, I think along with Barrios and Odorizzi, if they, if they can do that, they put together a pretty good rotation. Oh, I had one for you, too. Rami and I were talking, and he, I can't remember if this was on the microphone or not. But when Ricey brought up, you know who should, they should trade for? Matt Chapman. And my eyes lit up. I was like, well, this is some reckless speculation coming from you. And we were we got to talking about it. Rami and I did. And you said uh, Buxton and Barrios. I'm not blinking at that. If they're offering Matt Chapman. You're, I mean, saying, you, you're saying you'd trade Buxton and Barrios for Matt Chapman. Yep. Yesterday, I, I'm not I mean, an instant if you're, yes. But if you're I'm, asking me if that's a a fair trade, or maybe even you're getting the better end of that trade, yes, because Matt Chapman is an absolute star. Period. No but, need for a comma. But what are you doing about your pitching staff? Forget that. Like, Figure I need, it out later. No, I, need, I need to know. I need to know what's the next domino to fall. Center field, like 
You're not going to have all-stars all around the field. And if it's a downgrade from Byron Buxton to get the upgrade that you're getting in this trade that he's talking about at third base, I can live with that. I can live with whoever or whatever you plug into center field if the trade-off is you're getting maybe the best third, young third baseman in the game today. Like a top five player but in the I game But I, I got to know what is the next domino to fall and what are you doing about your pitching rotation because you already had two starters for this a playoff is, series. I get where you're going with this, but that is so easy to me. Like Not to be rude, but like you just figure it out. You've got a star in Matt Chapman at 26 with four years till free agency. I'm not worried about losing a number three starter. I'll figure that out later. There are a bunch of them out there in free agency right now. Or I'll trade for one. Or I'll bring back Michael Pineda and piece back the, the back half of the rotation that way and swing for the fences with a Herman Marquez or a Matthew Boyd or somebody like that. I'm not super worried about filling the rest of it out. What I'm looking for is star talent at as many positions as I can possibly have. It's the old fantasy football quality over quantity. That's what I think the Twins need to be doing this winter. Are we uh, Are we going to find time to do rounders next week? Even if it's on our show. Let's well, see, let's, let's see a turkey day next week. Is... Next week I won't be here for the usual. So we're going to have to wait like two Wednesday weeks before thing. Derek watches rounders. The, on, I mean, we, can do it on, we can do it on Tuesday. The suspense I'm... is going to be killing Phil. I prefer to wait. Okay. Just to torture him? I'm I'm thankful to have things to be able to hold over Phil's head. Derek is going to slow play me all night. He chick, chick, chick. He dropped me. You'll get that in two weeks. Pretty good. I've seen the... Go follow Derek. Follow Derek on Twitter. The line I know from that movie is give that man his money. Give that man. He beats me. Straight up. Pay him. Pay that man his money. At Derek Wetmore on Twitter. You can also listen to him three times a week on the Score North Twins show. Anywhere you find podcasts, Score North mobile app is a Watching Seinfeld with me so is bad. so annoying because I can say the whole episode <laughs> with them. I bet Rounders is the same thing with Maggie. Oh, jeez. Uh, gentlemen, when we come back, and thank you, Derek, for thank hanging you, Derek. out with us. Thanks, guys. Uh, this has been a bonus hour of Mackie and Judd with Rami. We'll come back. Judd is on uh, vacation, Vikings bye week, but we'll come back. Are the Gophers getting screwed due to brand bias? We'll talk about that. And Mike Golick Jr. will join us as well in about 12 or 15 minutes or so. Just an ugly little kid with a weird voice. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. One, two, three. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. With Rami. Well, we do all that, who it's going to during the week, right, in terms of the plays and all those other things. I don't think the score necessarily determines that because we have plays for Tyler, we have plays for Rashad, we have plays for Chris Altman-Bell, we have plays for Demetrius, and then our backs. And So it's all done on the game plan prior to that. But I think that when you're down 13 nothing, yes, there's, hey, we got to get the ball in the air, we got to have, we got to start putting some drives together here and might have to go to the pass game a little quicker. P.J. Flack just talking about game planning coordinators, Etc. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami on Score North and the Score North app. Judd on the Vikings bye week vacation. You know, even the even the guys who talk about the Vikings and report on the Vikings, like Judd and Matthew Collin, need to take some time off and rest up, take an ice bath once sure. in a while. Rami Makhlouf, yeah, they deserve it. Yeah. They earned it. Judd Carter, Judd just wants to drink beer during the day <laughs> and not get in trouble. Who could blame him? Fired man. He could have stayed here and drank beer during the day today. Did you see the weather out there today? No, I haven't looked outside in like there 10 were hours. Actually blue skies and sun shining. Oh really? Yeah. No kidding. I got into like the mid forties. Fascinating. I know it was amazing. It was Minnesota. nice for a second. Nice. And it disappeared. Could uh, play some outdoor baseball today. It was Robbie. actually fall. 
It was actually fall in Minnesota for an afternoon. Yeah, fall, uh, fall, like fall's great in late September, and then it shows up for like two more days uh, before Thanksgiving, and then it's and it's dead. I'm gonna play a soundbite here for you. All okay. Right. And Mike Golick Jr. is going to join us in about 10 minutes or so to talk Gopher football. Mm -hmm. Because the new rankings came out last night, and the Gophers dropped to 10th, the college football playoff rankings. They dropped to 10th, and more importantly, they dropped two spots behind Penn State, which moved up to 8th, even though the Gophers beat Penn State a couple weeks ago. Such such crap. This is our guy, Jason Fitz. I hate college football. I'm sorry. I got to say it. I hate college football. Well, here's our guy, Jason Fitz. Well, and I think, Mike, you're right. That's the most disturbing part of it, because to what Trey said, on the field, this thing's going to work itself out in theory. But you could also look at it and say the committee is setting themselves up for opportunity for certain teams to advance. That's what this feels like. I mean, if we're going to make common opponent and, and all I would argue is, uh, for example, if Georgia and Alabama were had the same record uh, and, and Georgia beat Alabama, would we let the fact that Georgia lost to South Carolina and Alabama beat South Carolina be the delineating factor? This feels like brand bias against Minnesota because Minnesota is well, not the is. brand that yep, Penn State it is. absolutely is. And if we're going to have brand bias early, that's the one thing that is concerning to the point of how this moves forward because if brand bias is created, then yes, there has to be opportunity for Alabama. If they turn around and, and squish Auburn, does that make them suddenly better than Oregon in the committee's mind. Of course there's brand bias. Is anybody surprised that there's brand bias in college football? And I don't I don't brand bias is the brand of college football. It's what they do. And I know we've talked about like we've kind of touched on this subject a couple times this season. I'm not saying that brand bias is zero, but I think and I know you're not being a gophers homer because you you don't have any gophers background. None. I have a ton of gophers homerism to me. And even I am saying the reason why the Gophers are ranked 10th, um, I could split hairs with the Penn State thing, but the reason why they're ranked 10th is not because of brand bias. It's because there's better programs in front of them, not better brands. Is Penn State better than them? Because I, I was at that game. It looked like Minnesota was a better program that day. I think the Gophers are better than Penn State. That's all the proof I need of brand bias. But I'm not saying that they should be in the playoff. But what I am going to tell you is if P.J. Fleck does build this program to a point where they deserve to be in the playoff, they still won't be in the playoff. Not going to happen. What do you? Uh, but you're saying if they run well, let's okay. Here's another scenario. I okay. could see a scenario. Here, here's, a, here's another scenario. They laid this out last night. So after the rankings came out, they came back from commercial break and they laid this out. All right, I want to give you this hypothetical scenario, and it's one of the most fun ones I could oh, I possibly come up with. Follow along here. LSU and Georgia play in the SEC championship game. Dogs win. Ohio State and Minnesota meet. Ohio State's undefeated when they get there. Gophers win. Clemson wins out. They're 13-0. So here's how it would shake out. Clemson would be the only undefeated team. LSU, Georgia, Ohio State, Minnesota, Pac-12 and Big 12 champions, all one loss. How would you stack them up? And then we've got we've got their answers, but just for to just to summarize, it was kind of split. Some said if Minnesota runs the table from this point out, including beating Ohio State, the room was sort of split on whether they'd be in the four or out of the four. I think if Minnesota runs the table, including beating Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game, they should get in. But to this brand bias conversation, every single year when you're talking about trying to figure out the difference between like the top seven or eight teams and like they've all got one or zero losses and you're trying to parse it all apart. If the committee consciously or subconsciously leans toward things like, well, Alabama has just been really good for a long time. 
I don't have a huge problem with that because when you look at recruiting rankings and you look at best program records going back to 2000, the same team. But what does 2000 have to do with now? I'm just saying Alabama is a better program and is a better team than the Gophers, even if they have the same record. It's just like the the Gophers have to do something extra to prove okay. otherwise. It's it's on the my point is it's on the Gophers to do something extra to prove that they belong in this conversation. It's not up to it's not up to the voters to be like. Oh, I guess we'll just give the Gophers a pass because they got the same record as Alabama finally. Alabama's been here for 20 years. I'm just saying, why don't we go by the results on the field like we do in every, literally every other freaking sport? Like, because they play different, they all play different teams. It's hard. You can't compare Big 12 to Pac to, or uh, Big 12 to Big 10. It's, it's too hard because the schedules are so vastly different. Okay. Well, that's, it's hard. Well, who, who are the two best teams in the AFC right now? It's the Patriots and the, and the Ravens, right? Sure, but other teams have earned the right to step on a field and beat them in a given football game to go on and get the ultimate right. prize. Right? But those teams commingle a lot too. Like AFC, they don't play teams, the same exact schedule. AFC teams and NFC teams play each play you know five games or whatever against each other every year too, right. and so you get to at least sort of see a litmus test. A lot of like the same quarterbacks have been around for fifteen years in some of these cases with Tom Brady mm-hmm. in in college football. You might might play like the Gophers. Never play an SEC team. SEC teams uh, might schedule one non-conference opponent, uh, you know, one Power Five conference opponent on their schedule. But then, like the rosters turn over every three or four years, anyways, and so it's hard to compare across conferences. So the only thing you can do is go by if this team has one loss and that team has one loss. And, Let's go by and who has more five-star recruits. I don't have a problem with that. I do because that's just, all. All recruiting is 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 predicting how good guys will be at the next level. They're not right all the time. But don't you think it's more likely that a program? Listen, and I'm saying this like I love the Gophers and I want the Gophers to be in this conversation. I'm just saying, if Alabama has 50 dudes on their roster that were four and five star recruits, and the Gophers have like five, maybe less, mm-hmm. something like that, mm-hmm. isn't it more likely than not that even though they didn't, they have no common opponents? So and they haven't played each other that Alabama would wax Minnesota in a head-to-head matchup. I'm you're, just saying. You're comparing Alabama and Minnesota, and I'm telling you well, that's right gonna now. Be, that might be one of the comparisons. Well, this year, although without Tua, I think there might be an argument to be had there. I need to see what this other guy is going to do in his absence. But in this year, yes, Alabama is the better football team. I'm, tell, I'm not even comparing to Alabama. My proof of brand bias is simply Penn State is ranked ahead of Minnesota and Minnesota just beat Penn State two weeks ago. Yeah. We're not even talking a long time ago. This just happened. Each of those teams <laughs> have played one game since that happened. How did you forget that so fast? I think what their excuse was, and I agree with it, I think the Gophers should be above Penn State. So I, well, I agree that's with all the guy. proof I need. But but I think what the committee is, what they, what they were trying to explain last night is, head-to-head is not the be-all, end-all. That in their in their mind, if Penn State has a better overall resume, and you can go through, I mean, like they might cite that. Well, Penn State played Pitt in the non-conference, and the Gophers See, played a directional school what I from hate South Dakota. About college football, why do we have to? Why do we have to figure out math equations to figure out who's going to get in the playoff <laughs> and who's a good football team? Why are we weighing these wins? Because they don't. Because they don't play. They don't play enough. From conference to conference, the Gophers, Penn State thing, I'm with you. But from conference to conference, they don't have enough common opponents. So you have to. It's not, let's bring in somebody who. Forget about our knowledge, which is nothing. Matt, Mike Golick Jr. actually knows what he's talking about and can straighten us out here. Uh, you can hear him every single morning on Score North here on 1500 on Golick and Wingo. And we're. 
I think we're we're definitely understanding as to why the Gophers are tenth and behind some of the other one loss teams. We're just a little bit perplexed as to why Penn State is above them, knowing what happened two weeks ago. Yeah, I'm right there with you guys, and I heard the conversation. It's frustrating because you feel like you don't know what's going on. Like all of us can sit around here, and you know, through five going on now, the sixth year of the college football playoff committee, we kind of understand some of the criteria that go into things. But at the end of the day, you played a football game two weeks ago that had a definitive result. Like we kept score of that game the last time I checked, and Minnesota beat Penn State. So the idea that now two weeks later. Because of a common opponent rather than the actual game, we're going to cite that. I get the out-of-conference schedule and all that stuff, but at the end of the day, we're all weighing inexact amounts of all of these different criteria, and I would have thought that given the recency, head-to-head would take precedence over most of those, so I am baffled like you guys. So brand bias is a real thing, right? This isn't just something that Fitzy came up with or, or that, that I'm jumping on the band. <laughs> this is a real thing. So I, I think brand bias makes it sound nefarious. What I think it is, is yeah, trust, exactly. Right? Like that's, that's get, exactly what I'm going for, Mike. Yeah, it, it's. I guess for me, it's just it's that phrasing, that idea of all right. Well, I know, especially in spots where the coaching staff has been consistent, where the pedigree has been there for a while. And our producer on Golik and Wingo said this, and it stuck with me. Who can I trust is going to not embarrass me if I put them in a playoff setting? Like, who is going to go out there if I'm the committee? and say, yeah, we made the right choice because they've gotten burned a few times. I mean, I know a lot of people threw it at Notre Dame last year, but Ohio State has been shut out in the college football playoff. Michigan State has been shut out in the college football playoff. So we've seen these things come up and become a reality, and so that might be part of it. But this one, again, just because, you know what, if you had wanted to sell me, if Minnesota and Penn State had played week two and Minnesota had won that game at home and it was close and all these same things, and then now we get later in the season and we're week 12, week 13, and we've got this common opponent and we've got the benefit of a larger body work. You could sell me that every day and twice on Sunday, but two weeks ago, I, I just I can't buy it. It seems like the committee is overthinking things at this point with the amount of stuff they're trying to juggle. Yeah, for Penn State, they're looking at, okay, they played at Iowa in the middle of October. They won that game. Gophers lost. Okay, they also played... They just played a tougher slate uh, when they, when you include number 16 Michigan on October 19th. They won that game at home. So, I mean, it's not totally perplexing, I guess, but when they play head-to-head, it's sort of weird. So what, in general, do you feel like the Gophers are just taking advantage of a weak schedule and they've popped up and it's kind of fun and then they're going to go back to being irrelevant Gophers? Or do you think P.J. Fleck has actually brought this program to a different level, a level that warrants national attention now going forward? Um, you know what? I, I think Warren's national attention will be uh, the, the wait-and-see moment for me. I think P.J. Fleck has brought something that is consistent. Like What he has done in the spots that he has gone to, the winning part, and coaches will say this, and it's true at every level, winning is winning. Like This guy knows what he is doing in creating an environment where winning is the norm and winning is something that's expected, and that's a hard thing to do, is to get a bunch of kids who haven't done a lot of winning to believe that winning is expected of them. Now, the difference is, and I think with a team like Minnesota, with teams that we're not used to being players on the grand stage, having a quarterback is important. Like Tanner Morgan, while he's not a name that college football has grabbed on or has that sex appeal, has been a damn good quarterback for you know stretches of this year in a way that has elevated this team. And so I think that's going to be the key is can P.J. Fleck continue to find and develop quarterbacks through his tenure here, which I know Minnesota fans are going to hope is as long as the contract is right now and not eventually bought out by some team looking to coach his services. Does Alabama have a legit case for the playoff without Tua? 
Yes, if Mac Jones can go out there and show out, I mean, I understand Western Carolina is probably not going to be the showcase game for this, but they've got a road game against Auburn at the end of the year. And now, with the benefit of this knowledge that head-to-head is something the committee apparently prizes this much, if I'm Alabama, I'm going to Auburn, and I'm saying, man, Mac Jones, if we can go out there and put it on these guys, and you're going to get plenty of chances because Bo Nix is not a great quarterback. I get that offense. Auburn defense is great. But offensively, they're going to give you plenty of opportunities. If we can go out there and beat them by double digits, make it look good in our last impression for the playoff committee, and they can look and say, man, Oregon got that same Auburn team week one of the season, an Auburn team that wasn't nearly as developed at that point. Bo Nix didn't have all these snaps under his belt at that point. They lost to that Auburn team, which we're calling a good loss now, but all of a sudden when we've got a side-by-side between these two teams and we're looking at a one-loss Oregon team whose best win is going to be, I mean, you know, right now, maybe USC right now, and then whoever, you know, if they play Utah in the Pac-12 championship, you would have that too, but versus Alabama waxing a common opponent in this and playing what could be the number one or two team in the country and LSU as close as they did, I think they would definitely, the way it's shaken out now, have a legitimate shot to jump Oregon and be that fourth team in the playoff, provided LSU beats Georgia and no funny business happens in the SEC title. Yeah, uh, Mike Golick Jr., so... Yeah, it, I, I've I've said eight teams. At some point, we're going to move to an eight-team playoff. It would be a lot of fun. What do you think is going to have to happen for that? Because we see in the NFL all the time, right? Something catastrophic has to happen, and then we get replay on pass interference. And now we're questioning that. Like, what's the thing that's going to have to happen for us collectively and the decision makers to make it an eight-team playoff, whether it's in two years or ten years? Well, one thing that's going to help this year is if Alabama gets left out. Like, Alabama is the Patriots of college football. So when things happen to them that are outside of what we expect or what we're used to, the rules tend to change. That would be one good place to probably start. But honestly, I think it's just going to be a little bit of time. Like, so much of the bowl system right now in the playoff is tied to the contracts that they all have worked out, television contracts, bowl contracts, the way this all works out. Make no mistake. Everybody, and I think financially, it's going to end up being beneficial for them to move to the A-team. And we know that's what matters. So once it is feasible for them contractually to break from what they're doing now and move to that A-team playoff, I have no doubt in my mind. And I've been a four-team playoff guy. I firmly believe that four is enough and that we've got a good thing going here. But you've heard the rumblings. We've heard it even referenced outwardly by the committee. We were at our uh, meetings for college football before the season, and we heard from people in the committee that these conversations are happening and if they're already happening at that level and people are talking about it there then you know damn well that these wheels are already starting to turn regardless of what they're willing to tell us publicly mike i, I think a, an 18 playoff would be a step in the right direction but i i really won't be satisfied until we just remove committees or computer algorithms into this thing to figure out who should be in the in the playoff and we just have a clear-cut system like we do in every other major sport and it's earned on the field with wins and losses and results do you think we'll ever get to that point no, and, and I dispute in a lot of senses that that creates a true champion, like especially in a one-game play, one playoff. Like, like take March Madness, for example, that everyone kind of holds up in that. To me, I, I don't think you get a true champion. Like you get you know, this idea of an earned tournament champion, but I look at we play an entire regular season to try and figure out who the best teams are. I would love to see more uniform schedule. I would love to see everyone play the same amount of conference games eliminating FCS opponents, mandating some bigger out-of-conference matchups that we get little sprinkles up here and there to try and help make that an easier process. But I think you look at these expanded tournament fields, and all of a sudden you get one team that has an off day and gets snuffed out, and now you get 
all right, some team, a lesser team, like we see in March Madness all the time, these Cinderella stories that are nice for the first and second round, and all of a sudden I get to the Sweet 16 and the Elite 8, and I'm looking, I'm saying, this team doesn't belong on the field with that team, and had we just gone off of all the evidence that we got through that regular season we want to value, I would have a matchup between two powerhouse teams giving us the show that we deserve and giving us, I think, a truer version of a champion. So I actually think college football is a lot closer to that than college basketball is. Um, what's the uh, what's the Brian Kelly status right now? Notre Dame, did I see unranked for the first time in however long? Uh, no, I, I think they're still. Uh, I think right in the fifteen or sixteen range right now. What did so I see? Okay, there's, there's, there might be Notre Dame men's basketball. Unfortunately, oh, I saw or oh, women's basketball. Oh, you know, a, I'm sorry. I saw the Notre Dame women's basketball thing come across the crawl, but uh, that's <laughs> yeah, bad. No, that that's one, bad too. So if you have comments on that, that one, you, you lose ten thousand career points off the starting lineup from last year, and Muffet certainly has her hands full with the squad. But I know she's going to take care of business there. They're one of the surest bets on campus. But for Brian Kelly and for Notre Dame right now, it, it's an interesting place to be in because Brian is finishing year ten. It's an. I, I mean, I looked up this spring when I was talking to our SID when I was out of practice and I couldn't believe it's already been that long. And you look at what he's put together. I mean, if he wins 10 games this year, I think they'll tie Lou Holtz for the most 10-win seasons in Notre Dame history. And yet the big game kind of eludes Notre Dame right now. And so I think for Brian to really steady the ship, obviously game against Boston College, game against Stanford, not really powerhouses that we expect much trouble for them, especially the way they're playing now. But you're going to hopefully get a brand-name opponent in the bowl game that you have to go out there and beat. And then they've got to show next season that they're willing to step up and start winning some of these big games. Or else I think you're going to see some of that impatience start to grow in South Bend right now where, like everyone else, we see this all the time. We saw it at Georgia where Mark Rick went in 10 years, 10 games a year. Wasn't nearly enough after a while for less miles at LSU. 10 games but not beating Alabama ends up not being enough. Eventually, time is no longer on your side, but I think for now, things are good because you're still winning double-digit games every season, and that's a hard thing to find in college football. Yes, that's where, like Jim Harbaugh's you know, similar thing. Sometimes it's sometimes these programs get a little bit spoiled, and uh, Notre Dame and Michigan are kind of in a similar situation where I would want to know exactly what is behind door number two before I get rid of either Jim Harbaugh or Brian Kelly in those situations, but... Uh, we'll see what they wind up doing. Hey, by the way, if you want to make the if you want to make the trip in a couple of weeks, we are very much excited for the potential of college game day here for the first time. Minnesota, Wisconsin. We got our fingers crossed. And uh, if you'd uh, like to make the trip, we'll save you we'll save you a cocktail or something in a couple couple weeks. Uh, there we go. Listen, you guys know the way to my heart. Say no more. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Golick Jr. Oh, real quick, Mike, can I ask you a question before we let you go? Mac and cheese Absolutely. on the Thanksgiving table or no? Oh, absolutely. Mac and cheese belongs on any table it wants to. It is all good in my book, no matter what the setting. All right. Thank you, sir. We'll add it to our yeah. research. Thank yeah. you, Mike. All right. There you go. Have a good one, guys. All right. That's uh, Mike Golick Jr. from Golick and Wingo in the goes against my hypothesis. Yeah, he's a north of the Mason-Dixon line guy. Yeah. Well, he's also just a my original fat football player who probably just likes to eat foods like mac and cheese. My original hypothesis that this was this was along racial lines. It might indeed be along geographical lines. So he he supports he's he supports my latter hypothesis, not the former. And geographically, it would make sense that ninety seven percent of the people that responded to your Twitter poll are probably, probably from the northern region, above the right? Mason Dixon yeah. line. Yeah, probably. <laughs> still disappointed. Well, in, got a lot of things. Still disappointed in the minority turnout on my vote. <laughs> At Robbie is tweeting if you want to get in on it and uh, give us a, a measurable sample size of 
not white people. This is what we've come down to. Rami begging for begging for minorities to respond to his Twitter poll about mac and cheese on a Thanksgiving table. <laughs> I just want an accurate sample size, man. <laughs> Do you agree with me though about taking humans and computer algorithms out of out of the system to determine who gets into the playoff? Let's actually. Co- I, I have I have a take on that. Okay. I don't think it's possible. Okay. Let's let's come back and talk right. about that, and uh, we can also dive into. I, I at some point here. Uh, before the show's over, and maybe we can. I, I have. We, we've been doing hot takes today. Derek Wetmore had a hot take in the uh, bonus hour of Mackie and Judd with Rami. I have a hot take that shouldn't be a hot take about Carl Anthony Towns. Okay. Mackie and Judd with Rami. No right. Judd today, but uh, we'll explore your theory when we come back here after we talk about Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard, where uh, I've been going since 2001 when I turned 16 years old. 1992 Silver Camry that my family and I, between myself... I was about to say, damn, you're old, but I'm older. You're older than I am. Yep, unfortunately. Um, You know, I I think that car made it up to 285,000 miles between myself. My mom had it before me, cousin. Uh, That's because the service department is just full of smart, knowledgeable people that help your car, that's already durable because it's a Toyota, run like new. Uh, one of the main reasons I continue to choose Luther Brookdale Toyota year after year after year, the people. I mean, for me, I'm not really a car guy. In fact, I don't really know anything about cars. So I need people to explain things very clearly and concisely. Same with me, man. Don't rip me off. Same with me. Don't screw me over. Right. Just communicate clearly. That's step number one. And they, they do that and a bunch more at Luther Brookdale Toyota. It's great. They give honest assessments when it comes to service. No BS. So uh, stop in. Open until 9 o'clock tonight. 694 Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Jonathan here with the Score North download brought to you by Tondrick Financial. Listen to the Score North with Amazon Alexa. All you have to do is say Alexa, open Score North, and you'll hear the soothing sounds of Purple Daily, Mackie and Judd with Rami, and much, much more. Just say Alexa, open Score North. If you were wondering yesterday... Gary Kubiak talked about his role within the planning for the offense and game planning with Kevin Stefanski. Here's what he said about it. And you know what? It's really been special. Um, you know, I know it's a unique, uh, I guess, title or job in this league, but does uh, them and Rick could give me a chance to do that. But, you know, it's been fun for me. It's, um, you know, I'm able to sit there with Kevin each day as we game plan and get ready to, to go, go do things. I'm able to be with him in his ear, you know, on a play to play basis as he calls the game on Sunday. So I think it's been really exceptional we got a, a really good blend of experience on our coaching staff i'm talking offensively and some bright young minds so those things go together and kevin's the one that's really pulled everybody in the same direction and done a great job with it and while we're at it if you didn't win the first time around we have another pair of gophers hockey tickets to give away for this friday's game against wisconsin at 3m marina at mariucci be the third caller to 651-646-8255 and you can win yourself a pair of tickets to go for hockey this Friday. That's been your score note download. Now back to Mackie and Jonathan Rami. Thanks, dude. Jonathan Harrison is the one who's giving away those tickets and uh, reading these score north downloads. Had the number this time. Locked and loaded. Nice job, dude. Did you come in and get he that, did. or did you just... No, he uh, did. I did. I came over there and got it in the commercial break. <laughs> professional. <laughs> Wrote it down on my producer. phone. Now I have it. Jonathan Harrison. Well, it's not over here. You guys have it over there. It's not on one of my five walls over here. Yeah, you've got like 15 pieces of paper that I think I have pinned to that bulletin board. <laughs> but none of them not, are the... Not the call-in number, apparently. <laughs> so, um, if the... If... if Let's spend a couple more minutes on this and flush right. out what you just said before the commercial break. All By right. the way, if there was an 18 playoff, the Gophers would not be in it. But Penn the State 9-1 would. Gophers would not be in it. Penn State would. What they've basically said is 
They've got they've got the three undefeated teams one, two, and three, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, and then from four through ten, they've got one loss teams. And they're saying that the Gophers are the worst of those one loss teams. That's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Now you and I could you and I could sit here and be right and say, All right, we know that Penn State has a better overall resume, but when those two teams locked up face to face at TCF Bank Stadium, the Gophers looked better and they won. Which right. looking better is important to yes. them. Looked better and they won. Absolutely. That, that wasn't some fluky type of win that they just pulled out of their rear end. That they, they looked like the better football team on the field yep. that day. But that only gets them to nine. If you if you were to let's say you all right, cool, Penn State drops back to where the Gophers are at ten. Oklahoma, who's ahead of Minnesota, moves up to eight. The Gophers would still be on the outside looking in of a college football playoff. But you have been saying throughout the show and in previous conversations that there should just be some non committee, non you know, calculus way to determine, like, if you win your division in baseball, you are in the playoffs. If right. you win your division in football, you are in the playoffs. Right. So how would you frame because that Because the, the, the idea of this committee, or even the idea of the BCS system that we had before, which was basically a computer algorithm that they just plugged. That was the most BS. By the way, like, you think this is shady, where a bunch of people go into a dark room and then right. don't tell you what their process right. is. But both of those, <laughs> on like, in principle, in theory... Good ideas, because I do see what you see and what Golik sees, that there there is reason, there is rhyme, there is logic to weighing wins against better teams versus weighing wins against worse teams, weighing losses against better teams versus weighing losses against against worse teams. I get it. I get what we're trying to do here. But like many other great, great theories throughout human history, they were great until they got into the hands of humans. That's the problem here, is that you will always have agendas and biases in that room that are deciding who is going to get into this playoff. Agendas and biases based on brand, based on heritage, based on history, based on recruiting, and agendas and biases of these people represent the schools that they are going there to argue whether or not are going to get into this playoff. Like Oregon guy has to, isn't Oregon guy the he's like the leader, he's like the chairman yeah. of the committee. And they asked him last night. So when you when they're talking about Oregon, what do you what do you do? And he goes, I just like I just like recuse myself from the conversation. <laughs> like, but how? Right, <laughs> but you're still there. That's like when they tell the jury to to dismiss what you just heard. They oh, heard I it. know you just heard him completely admit to the crime. <laughs> exactly. Strike that from your conscience. Exactly. It's impossible. <laughs> Things that are great in theory inevitably get in the hands of human beings, and then they are messed up. And that's what we got here in this theory of how to determine who gets into the college football playoff. That's why you just need a clear-cut system of who gets in and who's left out based on results and outcomes on the field. So I agree, that would be great. And I think it would be great if it was eight teams so that – because right now we're going to haggle over – this year in particular – we're haggling over teams that might actually have a chance to win the national championship on the outside looking in. Like, if Alabama gets left out, Alabama has a chance to win the national championship. When I say chance, I mean a legitimate chance to win mm-hmm. the national championship. What you don't really want is for your playoff system to leave out teams that have a, a chance to win the national championship based on, like, some arbitrary way of, like, putting a fourth team in, right? Now, if this team wins a division over this other team... Tough luck, other team that might have been better than the rest. So I, I'm with you on this, but I think it's complicated when you have five power conferences 
And in those five power conferences, you have 65 teams, plus there's some independents like Notre Dame. I think Navy's an independent. There should be no independents. So you're that saying that should not be a thing. What we have to do, though, if if we're talking about coming up with, I'm talking a about merit system where you win, you win and you're on the field performance. You can't have five divisions. I'm like talking they about have right now. Two things would have to go along with what I'm saying, and they are major sweeping changes. I know what I'm about to say is kind of crazy. Would never happen, but this is how it would need to be done. First of all, realignment of somehow putting these teams into conferences with equal numbers of teams, a somewhat level playing field in terms of the competition that you're going to face. I don't think that'd be that tough. And then there would have to be relegation because there are college football programs that are part of Division I college football who will never, ever even sniff a championship. What are you doing there? Why are you even on the same playing field with teams that are good at football? You don't belong there. So Van, Vanderbilt is not happy with there, what you're about to say. There would be a bunch of teams that are relegated, in my way of doing things, to Division Two football. Why do we have teams that have literally zero shot of winning a championship playing in the same leagues as the Alabamas, LSUs, Georgias, and Clemsons of the world? And Why? Actually, so, Why is that a thing? So here's a thought, all right? Let's go down this path here, okay? So you've got right now you got two divisions. You've got FBS and FCS. So you've got you've got F, FBS has about I don't know how many, but F, FBS, FBS has like sixty eight Power Five teams and or independents. There's there's three, but then there's like like what's Boise State in? Boise State's in some other uh, Mountain West. Mountain West. So oh, knock my maction. There's the MAC, <laughs> but the MAC teams have no chance to win right. at all. So here's what you do. Oh, the, the whole Mac would be gone. Maction wouldn't even be a thing Whoa. anymore. Let's Whoa. say there's a hundred yeah, teams. There's a hundred wow. teams in in FBS that that matter on some level, like matter in terms of uh, like stadium and attendance, and they've played sure. in bowl games before, and they play in either Power Five conferences or they play like Boise State plays in Mountain West. Okay, if you had like like Jonathan's uh, European soccer structure. If you had the, the the Premier League of thirty college football teams, good pronunciation there. The Premier yeah, League, Premier. Okay? Nice. It's not Premier. Stupid Americans. It's the Premier. The Premier. Call it whatever. College you football league. And you take the top thirty teams, whoever that's decided. The top thirty teams. So it's almost it's like an NFL sized group of teams. Mm-hmm. All right. And well, then, now we're getting somewhere. And those teams play each other only in those seasons. Now, by the way, scheduling all this would be a complete pain in the ass because now, like, you're relegating teams out. And then the other 70 teams would play in a subdivision. So there'd be like FBS 1, FBS 2, mm-hmm. and then there would be FCS, which is where the North Dakota State's. But then, like, this would give North Dakota State a chance to move up into that. Right. Bottom level. Yes. You actually have a carrot at the end of the stick, you have something to play for. And then maybe at I don't some know point. how you're a fan of a North Dakota state, knowing damn well you're going into the season with the, the grand prize being like the Outback Bowl. No, not even. North Dakota State is FCS. So okay. And FCS has a 16-team playoff that actually makes way more sense than what Okay, FBS North Dakota has. State was a bad example yeah. then. But you know, the, you know the program I'm talking about. Yes. Where you go in and the major goal, the huge grand prize carried at the end of the stick is some BS bull that's not accomplishing anything but making rich people richer. Yeah, that's been the Gophers for, for my you. whole lifetime. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, should, I had an example right under my it's nose and I didn't dude. use it. Right, exactly. <laughs> I don't know how you're a fan of a team like that. 
So what? So if if you had because right now the the problem is you could make a case that there's like seventy teams right now. If you take all the Power Five teams and then you take the independents and the teams like Boise State and maybe a couple others like SMU has popped up now and is is kind of relevant again. There's seventy teams that sort of matter in college football, right? And that's still too many. To Way me, too many because they can't play common enough schedules. Uh, it's too hard to put them in. Division. So, if you could somehow isolate out the thirty, and by the way, the Gophers now would be in that thirty. They'd be in the thirty. Now there would be times where they would be relegated down into that other division that you're talking about. Yeah, but this is what I would do with college football. And so then you'd separate them into I don't know, like Division One. I, I don't know how you'd do it, but that would make There'd some sense to me. Relegation, realignment, and the playoff would be determined on outcomes and results on an actual football field. Yeah. Imagine. And dude, I've always said, like, Chris Long, from our buddy from 5 Eyewitness News, him and I actually did a one-hour podcast one time, like four years ago. This is how we would create a relegation system in Major League Baseball. It's fun. I mean, it sounds crazy because, A, it's it's not something that's Americanized. Uh, it's a it's a European style of laying out your uh, your sports divisions, but... Think about this. If you're not like in Alabama or an LSU, if you're the Gophers, basically, the Gophers, this is probably as close, just based on the schedule, like this is probably as close as the Gophers are going to come to the college football playoff. And I'm, and I am pie in the sky as positive Gophers guy as you can come by. Oh, yeah, you are. All right. The Gophers are going to have a really hard time being nine and one this late in a season and being in this conversation on a regular basis. And so if there are other carrots that can be dangled during those bad seasons where like, oh, you get if you win, you get jumped up into this upper level uh, division. I think that makes some sense. I like relegation. I think baseball should try it, but there's it's just impossible based on the way it's set up. And the By the way, what is stuff. going on with these minor league teams that are, they're trying to eliminate? Have you been following this story at all? Because I have not been really following this yeah, story at all. Tr- just seeing the outrage on Twitter about it. Yeah, they're trying to get to 120 minor league affiliates instead of like 170 or whatever they have right now. So they're trying. To, they're essentially trying to give each major league team four minor league affiliates, so that it's 120 equal and it's just more structured. Because right now there's like high A, low A. Some teams have multiple double A teams. It's just kind of Is a this going to cost people jobs and chances at making the majors. Is that why people are so upset no. about it? Because people seem upset about this. No, because how many? Let's say there's a 25 guys. Let's say there's 125 guys in your minor league system. 15 of them have a chance to actually play in the major leagues, right? Sure. 20 of them. Yeah. You're cutting off the bottom. You're basically cutting off like the bottom 25. You're not taking a guy that, put it this way, if a guy throws 98 and can get major league hitters out, whether you have four affiliate teams, one affiliate team, or 10, mm-hmm. that guy's going to find his way on a roster right. somewhere. True. So, um, yeah, I, I like your theory on this. I th- and I think it's just, it is kind of funny that every week See, sometimes a group of people theories, get into a room. Sometimes and, my theories make sense. <laughs> Uh, what do we have? We have news coming down. All these appeals are coming out. The Miles Garrett incident appeals. I only saw one one decision that's come down, and that was uh, Ogan Joby got a he, the one game suspension that he got was upheld. I honestly thought what he did was the most egregious thing on that football field that night. I really do. Running up to a guy be- behind him who's not wearing a helmet and shoving him to the ground. And the most egregious part is after the game to go to a microphone and say. I was, I'm going to protect my brother and my teammate no matter what. Dude, you pushed the quarterback, saw your guy getting punched and kicked and pinned to the ground by three Steelers, turned around, 
and walked away from the situation. That's that's what you did. I would have suspended him another two games just for fronting like he was in there to protect his teammate when he ran in to push Mason Rudolph to the but ground. But did I see in an email back and forth today, we were sending prep emails back and forth, did I read correctly that you feel like we've all overreacted to Miles Garrett's role? Oh, everybody, everybody overreacted. But, but define no, not his role. We overreacted to the action of him swinging that football helmet on the field, including myself. So my initial reaction was, and you tell me if you think it's an overreaction, and I still stand by this, Yes, he should 100% be suspended for the rest of the season. And then he can come back for week one next year unless he doubles does down pre- on it Does somehow. precedence matter to you at all? Um, in general, precedence does matter okay. in this situation. Because there is precedence. For swinging a helmet at somebody? Yes. It was. Uh, it happened in 2013. Let me make sure I have all the uh, details right. Houston's Antonio Smith in 2013 swung his helmet at then Dolphins offensive lineman Richie Incognito. He was suspended for two preseason games and one regular season game. So he was basically suspended one game because who cares about the preseason? I think precedence. I think precedence matters if you have a huge sample size of precedence. If that makes sense, like if you have. Here's 20 examples of how we have handled this situation or done this okay. thing. Because I could poke holes in that and say, wait a second, a guy swung a helmet at somebody and got one game? Like, that's that's bad precedent. Like, that, we should erase that and get it right the second time. I'll give you more precedence than that. I was watching Fox NFL Sunday morning this weekend, this past weekend. Howie Long, Jimmy Johnson, Michael Strahan, are those the only... Are those the only three former players or coaches on that on that dais? Uh, Howie Long, Michael Strahan, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Terry Bradshaw. Terry Bradshaw is the other one. Every one of them, across the board, said they've seen that happen on a football field, either in a game yeah, in the eighties or definitely in practice. But that's like forty and, years ago. Mm, mm, Terry Bradshaw played. Those guys are fossils. Michael Strahan isn't, and he said he did that. He did that. This stuff happens. Michael Strahan retired 12 years ago. This stuff, the game is very different. Kyle now. Long just did this a few years ago in a practice to one of his teammates. What, swung a helmet at the guy? Swung a helmet at him, yes. And the team suspended it because this happened in training camp. They suspended him from practice for like three days. He didn't have to go out and die in the, in the middle of the summer in training camp. That was his punishment for it. Teams don't suspend guys at all when this happens in practice. What I'm saying is this happens. Uglier things than this have happened on a football field. I'm sorry, but Albert Hainsworth stopping a dude wearing while wearing cleats without it while that guy doesn't have a helmet on and requiring 30 stitches and his eyesight was affected for the rest of his life. That's worse. That's worse than what Miles get. And I'll, I said on I said on Friday, people are overreacting. I am included in that group. I am now part of that group who said, look, man, any suspension is warranted and worth it. And on top of the precedence of things like this or worse than this happening on the field in the past, we also have a precedence of the NFL doling out punishment, not based on the actions that earned you the punishment, but based on the reaction of the NFL fan base. But the reaction isn't irrelevant. The it fact, is the fact that let me let me give let me take two of the examples that we just talked about. By the way, Mackie and Judd with Rami, uh, no Judd today. He'll be back next Tuesday. He's drinking beer in New York for the next few days. So send him a tweet at Jay Zolgad. But you brought up so obviously example number one is on national TV. Miles Garrett uh, takes a swing with a helmet and it winds up. Right. So obviously it, it there are more eyes over, on that. Yeah. yeah, and and it winds up all over Good Morning America the next day, and it's a big national talker. And the other example is 
hey, this thing that happened in practice with no cameras and no media and and nothing around. So you're you're just looking at the the act is the same, right? So the act is the same. One happened in practice. One happened to happen when there's a bunch of cameras on you. Mm-hmm. But that matters to me, especially with the NFL and the perception of violence and head trauma and all these things that the NFL is trying to push away and they're trying to, whether they're making a sincere effort or not, and they're trying to get rid of concussions and things like that. If the entire country is looking at your entity and saying, um, okay, you've had a lot of issues with domestic violence. You've had a lot of issues with head trauma. There's violence and trauma and head trauma all sort of boiling down to this one thing right now, and it's a national story. I don't think you can just say, well, I mean... This happened in practice a couple of years ago. We didn't suspend anybody. We gave the guy like this a preseason. in a game in 2013. Okay, but... In a game. But I'm saying... I think saying, the difference between the one in the game from before is that he didn't connect. So that's attempted. So we're now, one, now we're litigating on, on the reaction of the fan base and the results of the action. Not not the action itself. The result does matter. You can't say the result doesn't. Are you saying the result of the action doesn't play I mean, neither, any role in punishment? Neither guy was hurt. Mason Rudolph is fine. Still doesn't matter. It's the action the end, that took place. It doesn't matter if he's hurt or not. But you just said that the result does matter. And I'm telling you the result in both cases was the same. Nobody was seriously injured. What is lost if Miles Garrett doesn't play another game the rest of the year? What's the downside for the NFL? For One of the best football players to step on a football field in the NFL today is not going to be there. And the Browns' chances at making the playoffs are seriously damaged. They were already seriously damaged. Yes, but they're more seriously damaged. Miles Garrett is not one of the top three people people tune in to watch the Browns for. Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham Jr. Maybe not, but he he makes the game more entertaining for sure. But he's not one of the top 25 stars in the NFL, if you're going to go through quarterbacks and skill position players. I mean, I don't know that there's anybody in the NFL who people tune in for specifically. The NFL is going to be watched regardless of who puts on those pads, to a degree. I mean, so if I just, it, I if just a bunch of Case Keenum's quarterback. I just want I, the, argue that exactly. the that's, are why, go that's down. why I said to a degree. <laughs> I personally want the best football players in the world out on the field to entertain me. That's what I want when I turn on a game. But here's the thing: you talk about precedent. So you're, let's 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 flip it around. So the precedent that was set th- uh, in 2013, when a similar thing happened on the field, was a guy got suspended for one regular season game. Okay, and I'm saying that. Listen, I don't need my players if I'm Roger Goodell or if I'm the general manager and owner of a team. I don't need my players taking swings of helmets to other guys' heads. The result could be something terrible. Can't have it. Lucky that it hasn't happened so far. Can't have so it. So for me, the precedent that was set in 2013 for one game, that's not enough. The precedent that you would set if in back-to-back instances you only suspended guys for one or two games for doing this, it invites down the road similar incidents because guys know that the penalty is not even that severe. I only lose a couple game checks. This is actually hockey's problem for years and years. Hockey, like I have been a huge, and it doesn't really happen anymore. Like the goonish fighting culture of hockey is sort of dead now. But one of my biggest beefs with hockey was, wait a second, these guys just like randomly drop the gloves to police the ice. <laughs> well, why does that, <laughs> that always seem weird to me too? Like, why, do, why don't the, why don't the officials or the league police the ice. And, we, and so Judd and I would have this battle. We'd take phone calls on it. And and what would happen is a player would come across and take a cheap shot at a superstar. Okay, like, uh, I, I don't know. Let's just say a, like a fourth-line goonish player mm-hmm. would take an elbow to a, a Zach Parisi type. And the league 
would dish out a $5,000 fine and no suspension. And so teams would feel like, well, wait a second. If the league's not going to do enough to take elbow-throwing guy and and punish him for taking a shot at my star player, well, then someone's I mean, someone's got to take that guy behind the woodshed, right? So if, if, if the leagues... I see what you're saying. If the leagues aren't the ones that say, listen, we just... like I, like let's say let's say Mason Rudolph was an actual star quarterback. Mm-hmm. Do I want defensive linemen potentially splitting open the head of a star? Quarterback? I don't want any. I don't want anybody doing what he did. I don't want anybody doing what he did. And I get what you're saying that you need to set a new precedence now. That's essentially what you're saying. That in the past, the precedence that was set in the past was not good enough. It was. It, it, yes. it wasn't severe enough a penalty for the action. I get what you're saying. I can get down with that. If I believed that that's why the NFL was acting in the way that the NFL is. The NFL is acting in the way that the NFL is for the same reason that they changed Ray Rice's suspension when everybody saw him punch his girlfriend in the face rather than just hear about it. That's why the NFL is doing this, because they hand out punishments, they dole out justice based on public relations. Not on what's fair and what's not. Not not to protect anybody on the football field or make them safer. I have no faith that that's why Roger Goodell is doing what he's doing. Because, again, precedent, the precedence in the penalty is one game. The precedence of Roger Goodell is I litigate based on public relations and public reaction to things that happen in my league. Not based on what's right or what's wrong. Not not based on something to protect my employees. It's what's protect, what protects my... My owner's pocketbooks. That's what he's looking at. You're right. Bad look for the NFL with everything that surrounds them right now. Your first point was more correct than your second point. That this is about protecting the image of the NFL. That's why they feel they need to come down hard on Miles Garrett. Yeah. That's so, the only reason they feel they need to come down hard on Miles Garrett. And, the, and again, like there's nothing you can make an example out of a guy if this was not that I could ever envision Tom Tom Brady doing this to somebody, but that'd be hilarious if Tom Brady was the one uh, wielding a helmet as a weapon. But um, if there was more to lose in terms of star power in the playoffs or TV ratings, I could see that being a driving force. But this is a really – I get that Miles Garrett is an amazing stud defensive player. but And a not, good dude by, all, by most accounts. He's a good dude. Eh, he swung a helmet at a guy. Okay. Can I'd be that good of a dude. dude. I have moments I am not at all proud of. I have the old Arab temper, and it can get out. It's not. I don't have as short a fuse as many of my people, but when that fuse is lit, what's watch out. A, you guys ever been kicked out of a place? Like, what's the? You ever been kicked out of somewhere for? Yes, being mad. Yes, I was. You want the story? Do we have time for a quick story? We got like two minutes. All right, I'm at a at a bar slash restaurant with some friends, and sitting at the table behind me to my back. There were some bros who thought it was funny when they got down to the bottom of their beer to splash it in their bro's face across the table. Like the like not even a sip, but like, like the, the backwash. The, the backwash, last few drops, splash it in my buddy's face, right? Well, I'm catching crossfire. So I catch crossfire once. Is there, are these strangers? Strangers. I don't know who these guys are. I turn they get I get splashed, I turn around, and they know what they did immediately. Oh, sorry, man. My bad. I'm like, okay, cool. No problem. People get splashed on. It's a bar. Second time, I get splashed. I turn around. I go, dude, I don't know what you guys are doing, but I better not get splashed again. That's all I'm saying. Then by framing it that way, you just invited the splash. <laughs> Third time, it wasn't me who got splashed. It was my friend sitting next to me, but that was enough. And you know how bar stools have like the, uh, they have like a, 
There's a bar that goes around the bottom yeah. of the bar stool oh, yeah. that you can kind of set your feet on yes, or stand yeah. up on. I stand up on that and like WWE style, style just splash into their whole group. What? <laughs> Wait, you dove, you dove into table? I dove right into their group and it just turned, Wait, what? It just turned into a melee. Like, like, a, like a high cross body off the top rope? I don't know exactly what I did. I just remember standing on the bar stool and jumping into this group of dudes. How did you envision this in your mind going? When you started this process, was there a thought process of like, no, okay, this is how this no, is going to end up? No, and that's what happened to Miles Garrett. He didn't think. He just his, his, he lost his he lost his cool man. He stopped thinking. So wait, was this uh, was this like within the last six months? Or are we t- are we t- <laughs> no probably, probably like I don't know eight nine years ago. <laughs> I got kicked out. Uh, and it got broken up real quick. Like my buddies grabbed me, they pulled me out of out of yeah. out of the melee, and bartender came over. He's like, "You guys got to go." I got kicked out of a local improv, uh, like a prominent local improv comedy club show. <laughs> Were you giving ago. terrible suggestions? No, no. I'll try to be succinct here, but this this is a story worth at some point flushing out. But um, so the short story is my. My now fiance's family and I were sitting front row at this improv show. Mm-hmm. This is a sketch comedy show. Yeah. And it, drinks are flowing and everything. But we're being very quiet, respectful watching the show. The table next to us was super loud and disrespectful and just like talking and not paying attention to the show. Oh. And so someone came over from Brave New Workshop. Just don't come to a comedy show if you're that person, please. Well, someone comes over to our table, middle of the show, our server. We thought they were coming over for another drink order. And she leans in and we're about to put in our drink order. And she goes... I'm going to have to ask you guys to keep the noise down here. There's been some complaints about your table. Thank you. And then turns away. Like, doesn't even give us a chance to say, oh, no, it's it's this table over here. Mm-hmm. All right, whatever. Ten minutes later, manager comes over to our table during the intermission and says, this is now the second time that we've had to ask your table to be quiet. And I don't want to have to ask you again. We're going to we're going to have to ask you to leave if, if there's a third time. And I said, whoa, whoa, no, it's it's the table. You guys. Like, we've just been sitting here laughing, enjoying the show. It's this table over here. And he looks me in the eye and he goes, I've been watching your table the entire show. <laughs> I know that it's your table. Which is, by the way, which is, and I'm not like, it's a, it was a lie. A flat out lie. And I snapped. I just, I, yeah, I probably would have I, I didn't throw yeah. punches. I snapped. I said, I said, you're lying. And I just like, you are lying to us right now. This is a bleeping lie. And we just got into it back and forth. And he literally, he literally escorted me. <laughs> you're a liar. You're lying. <laughs> oh my gosh! But you didn't right. WWE splash into the, <laughs> no, okay. no. But that should have right. been the next splash. Should have done that to the loud table. <laughs> exactly. That'll <laughs> teach him. Mackie and Judd with Rami on Score North and the Score North app from the TCL Studios. Uh, what's on the TCL TV right now? Looks like we're watching a. It's the replay a of uh, Cards and 49ers. I scored so many fantasy points in this game on Sunday, man. I was fist pumping the whole game. Kyler Murray. Over I had Murray. To, uh, I had Fitz. I had Garoppolo. Oh man, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, this game ended in a uh, a wild defensive touchdown that affected a lot of Vegas. It cost uh, Vegas bookies too. a bunch of yeah. money. But TCLs, where we watch all kinds of sports here at Score North, TCL gives you the best picture quality on the market, 4K picture quality, built-in Roku device, giving you access to 5,000 streaming channels like Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, HBO Now, all the sports platforms you can imagine, ESPN Plus. So go to any major local retailer in the Twin Cities and stare at a TCL TV for yourself and find out why it is America's fastest growing TV brand. When we come back, 
I've got a Carl Anthony Towns take I want to run by you. Oh, all right. All right. Enough about the future. Mackie and Joe with Rami. I just love food, and I hate exercise. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. One, two, three. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. With Rami. All right, welcome in. Hour number three today. We gave you a bonus hour in the three o'clock. I'm tired. Thank you, Judd with Rami. Awesome. Dude, I'm not stretched out for three hours anymore. I know. I'm a two. I'm a. I'm a short burst guy yeah. now. You've been like a closer. I feel like my pitch count's getting up there. All I don't right, know if I'm going to come in the like hour. the sixth inning. Close yeah. this thing out. You guys going to be able to do this? I mean, Rami's, Rami, Rami should be okay. He's I do four, four hours, hours every day, but it's usually four hours broken up. I have a break in between. I get to go home and have some lunch. This uh, this four hours straight is is it's Dude, we're, something uh, different. Jonathan, we we you might have to start warming up in the bullpen. Here, okay? <laughs> have have a, have a take ready for five thirty. Yeah, you okay? might have to wrap with Royce. <laughs> Mackie and I might might get the hook at that point. Uh, so Mackie and Jeb with Rami score North app. And before I give you my Carl Anthony Towns take here, I think we should open up too in the next twenty minutes or so. Just off of the end of that last segment, if you're out there, if you're listening, do you have a story about getting uncharacteristically mad or kicked out of an establishment that you think would be fun to tell? 651-646-8255. Have you gotten blackout angry like yeah. Miles Garrett did, like I did when I went like Macho Man Randy Savage off a bar stool <laughs> to a group of bros? Or uh, like me at a local uh, improv comedy club getting dragged out by the manager in front of 200 people. Six five one six four six eight two five five. Give us give us your stories. All right. So you tell me if this is a hot take. All right. I think Carl Anthony Towns. Enough about the future. Enough about what could happen. I think, man, the, the Wolves could do this. Carl Anthony Towns right now is one of the five best basketball players in the world. Change my mind. Right now. Steph, so you, all, Steph Curry's on the shelf. All you told me when you... Clay Thompson's you, on the shelf. All you told me coming in, and I didn't ask for more details, all you told me coming in was I have a hot Carl Anthony Towns take. So I need a list of players who could potentially be better than Carl Anthony Towns before I decide if you're getting excited. Hey Cops is recorded on location with the men and women of Sports Talk. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in hot take court. Pulling up a list right now. Let's see, who do I trust? NBC Sports? They're pretty good, right? Wait, what's your what's your list? I just I'm just, just I'm just looking for basketball players in the world. I just want to have the names in front of me of who are some of the guys who could be better than Carl Anthony Towns before I before I decide whether or not I should give you a ticket. There are only three players in the world that I know are better than Carl Anthony Towns. Who are those three? Giannis, mm-hmm. LeBron James. And James Harden. James Harden is averaging like forty points a game right now. Like okay, that dude might actually average forty points a game this season. Are we, so he's Kevin Durant is not part of this conversation because he's, out, he's hurt. And he, and by the way, like he might never be the same. You don't just come back from that injury in your thirties. He'll still be a really good player. But Carl True. Anthony Towns is twenty four years old. True, and is putting up some of the most ridiculous numbers you've seen. Efficiency, back of the basketball card numbers, whatever you want to go by. I think the only three players right now mm-hmm. that you can definitively say are better than Towns mm-hmm. are Giannis, James Harden, and LeBron James. And Kawhi Leonard. I don't know, man. Come on now. I don't know. Kawhi Leonard put a team on his back and carried them to a championship. Kawhi Leonard is is definitely 
more seasoned in situations that Carl Anthony Towns hopes to be in at some point. Kawhi Leonard, at the end of last season, was almost unanimously declared one or two best player in the NBA and after I'm saying, doing what he did in Toronto. And I'm saying a lot has changed since the end of last season with Carl Anthony Towns as well. Towns is, a, is twice the defender he was, at least in these first 14 games. He's so much better defensively. He is probably the most efficient scorer in the NBA right now. And in fact, if you want to go off some of the numbers, his effective field goal percentage is number one in the NBA among guys who've taken at least 12 shots. So he is, by that percentage, the most efficient scorer in the NBA. He's top five or six in rebounding. He blocks shots. I'm telling you, if you want to fight me on Kawhi Leonard, let's put him as the fourth one. All right, let's just let's just say because of Kawhi's pedigree and everything. I'm he's more the convinced of Kawhi than James Harden. Okay, because all James Harden does is score. I'll I'll even give you that. All right, so now we're talking Giannis, James Harden, LeBron James, and Kawhi Leonard. Can you definitively tell me that anybody else is better no. than Carl Anthony Towns right now? Not definitively. Luka Doncic, you might, you know, people are going to put up a fight for Luka Doncic. He's, he's been amazing. He's one in Dallas. of the guys who I was just going to say. Anthony Davis, obviously. It's, it's it's a bit muddled. It's a bit of a cluster after those. And I don't know if I'd even put James Harden in that group that you just named off. But let's let's put James Harden in the group and say those four guys are mm-hmm. clear cut the top four players in the NBA. After that, I feel like. Like I said, it's a little bit muddled. It's a little bit of a cluster. I think you have to still talk about Steph Curry as right behind that pack of four that we just mentioned. Anthony Davis is right there with James Harden, right behind that pack that we just mentioned. Joel Embiid, I think, has to be considered right behind that pack of guys that we just mentioned. After that, you get into the Damian Lillards of the world, the Paul Georges of the world. I think they're a tier below what we're talking mm-hmm. about here, but I don't... I don't know that you can definit. Oh, and you got to put Jokic in there, right? In the same class as Carl Anthony Towns and these other guys that we're talking about. I think he's better than Jokic. I think Jok- I think Jokic. I think I'm. I'm telling you, I think Towns is in the fringe top five range, and I think Jokic is more in like the fringe top fifteen range. Okay, I might disagree with you there. His offensive game is so multifaceted, yeah. man. That guy can but do like, anything. But there is. I mean, this is going to sound crazy, but there isn't a better, more efficient, well-rounded. Offensive player in the NBA than Carl Anthony Towns. I know, like people are like James Harden, forty points. I get it, but this dude can score in the paint at will. Yeah, and the other night he took over that game in Utah. Utah's a playoff team. That's a road game. He took over that game on the road in the fourth quarter by just bombing shots from three point range, top of the key. He's seven feet tall. I think there is a legit argument to be made that he is a top five player. I think there is as legit an argument to be made for. The other guys who I just mentioned in that group. Doncic, Anthony Davis, Steph Curry, um, Joel Embiid, maybe Nikolai Jokic. Mm-hmm. But the second part of this conversation to me is, and we can split hairs on that group, but I mean, so I, I think he's a top five player right now. You think he's a top ten player right yeah, now? even that being said, that makes him top eight, top nine. Sure. So you think he's in that mix, which is a big step up. I mean, I think he was like fighting to be in the top 12 or 15 last year. He's, he keeps moving up the ladder. And LeBron James is going to, in a couple of years, LeBron James is going to come down the mountain. So Towns is emerging into his prime. This is the age. LeBron 24. says people are already calling him washed. I don't know who it is, but he keeps on saying <laughs> people are calling him washed. He's got the hashtag washed LeBron. Yeah, I know. Keeps... Nobody said that, LeBron, but go ahead. Dude. There might have been like one guy. Like Skip Bayless right. has been saying it for 10 years. Whatever basically. it takes to get you going, LeBron, you go ahead and do it, man. I got no beef. But like, like LeBron, KG in his prime, Tim Duncan, 
this is about the age, 24, 25. Like, those guys were in the league for a few years, and they were you know, getting their feet wet as superstars. But 24, 25, 26 is about where they start to take over the league, and that's the age that Carl Anthony Towns is right now. And so all this talk about, and I'm guilty of it too, we went into the season, and nah, this is just kind of a free pass year for the Wolves, and this is just a year of wins and losses don't matter, and this is just going to be a feel-it-out year. Well, if Carl Anthony Towns, in my mind, is a top-five player in the NBA, and if Andrew Wiggins has turned this corner because of Ryan Saunders and the new system, and he's stopped taking inefficient shots, and he's playing with passion, and he has become a top-30 player, uh, I mean, we got to stop talking about this season, and we kind of mentioned this on yesterday's show, we got to stop talking about this season as if, oh, it's just kind of a... It's just kind of a free, fun year for every night. No, like you can be the sixth seed in the Western Conference mm-hmm. and you can fight to win a first round playoff series. That's that's the direction this is going right now. No, this season has suddenly become one that matters, where results on the court matter, where that is not something I thought would be the case at the start of the season. It's but super I, fun. I will say and I said this yesterday, that I won't be heartbroken. It's sort of a win-win situation because I won't be heartbroken if we go back to games not mattering. Like, if something happens, the Wolves go on some kind of skid and fall out of the playoff picture, I'm I'm okay. I won't be that. I'll be right back where I was when the season started, which is they are making progress as an organization, and you can see that in ways other than wins and losses, and I'm fine. Like, it's cool right now that games matter and you have something to root for, but if we go back the other way, that's cool, too. This is what uh, Tracy McGrady said on ESPN's The Jump. I believe Mm -hmm. this was yesterday. Yes. I love what I'm seeing from Cat, but I really love. I know Andrew has been out for the last couple games, but this is the Andrew Wiggins that I've been wanting to see. I'm buying. It's here. Yeah, it's here. It's here. I see a different player. I see a more assertive player, more aggressive player, more confident player. I don't see the floater that I used to see. This dude is taking over games when he's out there. I love what I'm seeing from Andrew Wiggins. It's going to stay. Cat is going to continue to do his thing because we know he's a bona fide superstar, and they're going to make the playoffs because of those two boys right there. You know what? When when Tracy McGrady talks about Andrew Wiggins, you guys ever used to watch Family Matters? Yeah, I love that Family show. Matters, Great yeah. show, right? Uh, I feel like Tracy McGrady is Stefan Urkel, and Andrew Wiggins <laughs> up until this year is Steve Urkel. <laughs> <laughs> like this is what you could be, man. Like this is if you just if you were a little bit cooler, if you just had some more suave to you, if you're a little bit more efficient with your jump shot, like you could be Stefan or Cal. You could be Tracy McGrady, man. That's he what could, that's what you I never could thought be. of that comparison, but that might be a, like a a decent comparison for what Andrew Wiggins' ceiling is. Tracy McGrady, which is awesome. That Dude, Tracy not, McGrady was like one of the five best players in the league in the for a couple of years. He's in the Hall of Fame, isn't he? Didn't he just get is inducted he? the last year or two? Yeah, I couldn't tell you on that one. I think so. He also, he also, I think, was the first guy to throw a pass to himself off the backboard in an actual game. I remember like watching that one time. Uh, so that that's that's Tracy McGrady. This is what Amin Al Hassan had to say. He had a differing opinion than we can react. Um, if Wiggins continues to play like this, then sure. But forgive me for being a skeptic. Oh, I, I, I've seen, but I've seen it happen. I've seen him. No, have, you haven't I've seen, seen this. I haven't seen this, but I've seen stretches where he looks engaged and he's onto it, and then he comes back and then uh, it goes away. You haven't seen this stretch. It's 15 this games. Get, holler at me by All Star break. If he's still focused like that, then I'll change my mind. But I'm, Come I'm going to be Mister, Mister skeptical right now. No, the injuries to the other teams 
definitely help them. But again, they also they have got to Dallas though coming. They got to fight off Dallas. Right? They got to fight off Phoenix, right. which is ahead of them yeah, in the standings right now. Sacramento. Sacramento is starting to have a, a, a kind of a re- revival there. Yeah. So it, it's still not set in stone. But yes, they're playing better. Yeah, and I get the skepticism. I, I was just like, going to say, I, I I understand anybody who's still right where Amin Al Hassan is, and that's kind of where Judd is to represent. We could put a cardboard cutout of Judd here, and we could have just had right. Amin Al Hassan represent Judd's <laughs> opinion on Andrew Wiggins. But they're wrong. They're wrong. And, and listen, like listen to me for a second. I spent four years. My entire stock was sell, 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 or my entire stance was sell, sell, sell. Andrew Wiggins stock for four years. So. As somebody who took that stance as hardcore and aggressive as anybody in this market for four years, I'm telling you, and I told you two months ago, foreshadowed it. This is different. It's a it's a it it's a smarter front office. It's a coach that knows how to connect with him. And nothing about Andrew Wiggins' performance through the first month of the season is flukish. It's not like Derrick Rose bombing fifty five percent from three point range right. as a non three point shooter. Oh my God! Derrick Rose turned a corner. No, he just—he was just super hot from three-point range. When the Twins signed Siyoshi Nishioka in 2010 from Japan, oh my God, this guy's the Japanese batting champion. He hit 350. We got to bring him over. Nah, he just got really lucky and had a bunch of ground balls go through for singles one year, and then he came over here and he was garbage. There's nothing fluky about Andrew Wiggins' performance unless you think his passion and persistence on the court is something that's going to regress. And we have seen that before, too, where he'll like show fire for two weeks and then it'll go away. Or he'll show fire against the Cleveland Cavs because he wants to prove that they shouldn't have traded him uh, five or six years ago. But I think Ryan Saunders and Gerson Rosas know how to speak the language, and the only question remaining is, do you let it ride, or do you trade him and let another team uh, you know, look to... No, I think if, if you've unlocked... If you've unlocked Andrew Wiggins, you you ride with that. I don't I don't think you you unlock that and then trade it and watch him flourish for another team. That would be foolish. But I'm just looking at can this guy keep up the good habits and not go back to the bad habits? I hear what Amin El Hassan is saying. I've made this analogy before. I think it's it's very apt. Lost a lot of weight a long time ago. I very easily and many people in my situation can fall right back into that unhealthy lifestyle and go, you know what I mean? It, it happens all the time. People fluctuate and yo-yo in their weight all the time. And it's simply a matter of bad habits versus good habits. And it's the same thing with Andrew Wiggins. You're trying to break him of bad habits and make the, and make the good habits routine, make them habit, make them so that he doesn't even have to think about it anymore. That's the point you need to get to. And I don't, I can't say that you're there yet. That's a really quick turnaround in 15 games to break every bad habit that this guy has and develop good ones. Yeah. The most amazing thing to me is he's always just been such a bad dribbler. Just like, because everyone I think has mistakenly talked about, well, he's just, he's so honed with it from, from a skill set standpoint. Like, no, man, he was always a super sloppy bad dribbler. And that's part of the reason why he couldn't. Regularly get to certain spots on the floor, he would just pull up for bad jumpers because he didn't want to dribble to around. dribble up to your chest. No, it's never. It's not a good thing. Yeah. Um, hey, for five minutes here before we uh, before we get to a little in other news se- uh, session. Yes, sir. ESPN.com and Jeff Passan have a story out from yesterday, and it's. I'll just summarize it. Rob Manfred, MLB commissioner, has uh, come out and said he believes the sign stealing scandal that has engulfed Major League Baseball involves only the Houston Astros. 
and uh, he feels like he can dish out discipline ba- uh, beyond the standard fine and draft pick if necessary. So he thinks it's only the Astros, and he's probably going to come down heavy on them. What do you think is the ultimate fallout here from this Astros cheating scandal? Do you think there's any actual actionable things that can be done to prevent teams from... Like, it's 2019, oh, yeah, man. So. Like, we got... Everyone's got a computer in their pocket. Cameras are super... Oh, like, you mean what can be done to stop it? Stop teams from trying this in the future? hmm Harsh enough penalties. It's going back to what you said about Miles Garrett. You need to send the message that this will not be tolerated, and when you're caught, there will be serious consequences. That's what you have to do. And for Rob Manfred to say that this... This is contained to the Houston Astros. It's just idiotic and right in line with Rob Manfred and his policies as Major League Baseball commissioner. Just dopey. How on earth do you think that only one team is doing this? How? I mean, you have people on Twitter. You have, like, dudes sitting at home who are able to go through footage of other Major League Baseball games and Major League Baseball teams and find some pretty damning footage. I mean, Christian Yelich. That they're doing the same thing. Yeah, there's there's footage of Christian Yelich facing top pitchers, and right as, with like nobody on base, by the way, mm-hmm. and right before the pitch is delivered, he's looking out to right center field, where, by the way, the Houston Astros, part of their cheating was they would have somebody in the bullpen, arms up on the wall if it was yeah. off-speed, arms down, if it was a fastball, just right where the batter can see him. But I just don't... I, I think the only way you can fix this is to just be trickier with your signs because you're, are you going to really be able to prevent teams from putting cameras in places and hiding cameras? I mean, technology is so good. I think you have to fight technology with technology. And Major League Baseball needs to have surveillance of baseball teams during <laughs> baseball like, games. I'm not even kidding. So, so hey, teams, you can set up cameras wherever you want. But the league's also going to come in and set up cameras wherever they want to. Something. And I they can, can surveillance in the bullpen. And the there dugouts. has to be some kind of surveillance going on, doesn't there? I mean, probably. Uh, somebody was asking me, and I just I don't want to overlook, if there's casual baseball fans out there, I don't want to overlook uh, just sort of over-explaining this because I was at a, a Friendsgiving gathering the other night and somebody asked, well, why don't why don't the catchers just stop giving someone? Why doesn't the pitcher just throw what he wants to? Uh if the catcher and the pitcher don't know what the pitch is, they, they, if the catcher doesn't know what the pitch is going to be, he's going to get crossed up. Uh, he's possibly going to take a fastball to the mug if he thinks it's a breaking ball coming. So they have to be on the same page. And obviously the pitcher can't give a sign or the hitter is going to be able to pick up on what the signs are. So the only way to do it is the catcher has to give a sign so they can both be on the same page. When the I, pitch saw, I forgot where I saw it, but I saw that there's been experimentation of like devices in the helmet of the catcher and and the pitcher can wear something too where they can communicate to each other telepathically electronically i don't know if it'd be telepathically that'd be awesome but <laughs> electronically somehow send the met send the signals back and forth to each other but if it's just a catcher like sitting behind the plate like curveball dude throw a curveball like the, the the hitter's gonna hear that so i don't know exactly i don't know exactly what the system is or how you work that <laughs> Curveball. <laughs> putting his hand over his mouth, talking right into the microphone. Uh, Manfred said, right now we are focused on the information that we have with respect to the Astros. I'm not going to speculate on what other people are, are, are going to be involved. We'll deal with that if it happens. What do you I'm mean not if it happens? Has that. there ever been a form of cheating that just one person or one team employed? Has that ever happened? Has that ever been a thing, Rob Manfred? Are you that dumb? 
He's he's the worst commissioner in all of sports. I feel like he came in and he was ready to rock with a bunch of like innovation talk. Yeah, and we're I was really excited about Rob Manfred. And like literally the biggest change that he's made so far was um, let's make sure that we limit mound visits to twelve in a game. <laughs> We're going to reduce mound visits. You still get 12. <laughs> He's such an idiot. So That's a dude know. who just does not get it. Yeah, he's uh, he's been disappointing. I think I, we'll see what plays out. I I guess another question to ask, too, is if, you're, if your favorite team, I mean the Twins, for instance, if your favorite team was caught doing something like this, how much would you care? Like if I you found out, oh, man, the Twins broke the home run record, but they were banging garbage cans in the dugout the whole season, and like how much would it taint it? I know I'm rare in this respect. But I don't care what uniform you wear. If you if you're cheating and you get caught, I want you penalized to the to the fullest extent of the law. Like I have no zero love for Sammy Sosa, none whatsoever. Having grown up a Cubs fan and taking great joy in all the home runs that he hit, in hindsight, they're all tainted, all tarnished. He's a fraud. He's a cheater, and he deserves everything that he's gotten since. He Every my, last bit. He was of it. my favorite hitter as a kid. I still have a soft spot, especially because of his Pinterest page. And dude, I I had a I had a soft spot for Ryan Braun working in Milwaukee. And when that whole thing broke, I was, oh, you're just a Cubs fan. You just hate Braun. No, Ryan. I had a Ryan Braun jersey. I wore a Ryan Braun jersey. Was your first problem before he got busted for PED? Were you wearing brown cargo shorts and sandals like every other Brewers fan? Maybe too? man. So what? Dude, go to a Brewers game. Count the number of people wearing Brewers jerseys and brown cargo shorts. I was probably one of them at one point. <laughs> Can't judge. Mackie and Judd with Rami on Score North and the Score North app. Some in other news action. Federated Insurance is all about giving business owners peace of mind. Peace of mind so that you know as you pour your life and energy into running a business, uh, you know they've got your back if something happens that puts you on the defense. Federated comes in, based in Owatonna, Minnesota, by the way, with over a century of experience in standing behind business owners. Federated comes in, and they help business owners with many different industries. Auto services, cabinet and custom woodworking, retailers, wholesalers. If If you fall into any of these categories, contractors, dealerships, funeral services, machine, plastics, and tooling, Federated can help you. They can give you that peace of mind that I talk about, that when something bad happens to the company you built, you want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover smoothly so you can get back on with running your business. The website is federatedinsurance.com, where you can find your federated representative. And remember, Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download for this hour. You can download the Score North mobile app. And make sure you register for Listening Rewards because this month, one lucky app user will win a $200 Visa gift card just for having the mobile app. All you need to do is download the app, register set app, and enter through Listening Rewards, and you have your chance to win a $200 Visa gift card just for having that app. It was just announced within the past couple, well, within the last hour or so that P.J. Fleck was named one of 22 semifinals for the college coach of the year. 22? 22 semifinals. So it will be 20, whittled down. 22 yeah. semifinalists? Well, with that? 100, what, 15, 16 programs. We need, tw- so 20% of them need to be finalists? <laughs> yes. What? Shocker. College football is chaos. <laughs> and why 22? I don't know. Why not? Why, it's why a very not specific 20? number. I don't know. That's ridiculous. You're asking the wrong guy. I just read and the And by the news. way, he, he, deserves, he deserves it, but yeah. Yeah, you're asking Ron Burgundy. <laughs> Why the news is the news. He doesn't know. He just, just reading it. it. 
Uh, we'll end here with uh, we have another pair of tickets for Gophers Badgers Hockey this Friday. Be the third caller to 651-646-8255, and you will win yourself a pair of tickets to Gophers Hockey this Friday between the Gophers and Wisconsin Badgers. That's been your score with Donald. Now back to Mackie and Joe with Rami. 2022. In other news. Yes, middle of the week, middle of the show. Time to take a break for all the hard-hitting sports talk we bring you here on Score North and take a look at some of the more weird, wacky, and wild news from around the world, including from Hollywood. In other news, you guys know about the uh, the Harriet Tubman movie that's out there? Yeah. Harriet? In other news... Harriet creator Gregory Allen Howard says an unnamed studio president who discussed making the biopic back in 1994 said, quote... This is a great script. Let's get Julia Roberts to play Harriet Tubman. What? What? No, dude. When it was pointed out to him that Tubman was black, he reportedly responded. Anyway, he read the script and said that? It was so long ago, no one is going to know the difference. The film took 20 years to bring to the screen, describing the Hollywood climate as, quote, very different back then. Howard credits films like 12 Years a Slave and Black Panther with proving box office success of films with black protagonists. Okay. So many questions. Okay. (laughs) So many questions. Did did, probably don't have answers. Did this person not know that Harry and Tubman was African-American? Oh, no, he knew. He just said it was so long ago. No one will know. No one will care. No one will know or care. Um, that- let, me, let me find the exact quote. He says, it was so long ago, no one is going to know the difference. So I get that we are definitely much less attentive to historical events. And like kids are probably like kids are definitely more interested in playing Fortnite than like studying <laughs> the Civil War era of this American was, history. This was 20 years ago. This is before Fortnite, dude. <laughs> But even then, like, you know, that's our generation, too. Like, we always had, had, we we had our distractions. History. Right. History yeah. was never a, a popular thing, necessarily, with the young kids. Yeah, we weren't paying full attention in history class. <laughs> you and I and Jonathan 20 years ago, okay? But but even us, not yeah. being super attentive 20 years ago, I might have raised an eyebrow and said, I don't think it was white people <laughs> that were hiding underground and, and lead, moving from house to and house, leading slaves to freedom. It wasn't. It wasn't a white lady. It just wasn't. Now there were. Now there were. Not to get super deep into the history uh-huh. weeds here, but like there were white people sure. who helped slaves yeah, along. But, absolutely, but uh, they didn't Harry play the, a role as big as Harriet Tubman. <laughs> Remember, there were people pissed off a few weeks ago because the Little Mermaid was going to be black. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> Those same people are not complaining about this. I don't know why. I don't I don't see what's missing here. Amazing. But those same people don't seem to be as upset about this. By the way, like if you're going to have a white person play Harriet Tubman, <laughs> Julia Roberts? <laughs> Julia Roberts of all people. In other news. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on, man. Is that segment still happening? I think so, yeah. Come on, man. You know what segment I really like is You Got Mossed. Have it's you seen great. You oh, Got Mossed? Great. I love You Got Mossed. It's great. Well, I mean, we lived that for like eight or ten years here in the Twin <laughs> Cities. Like, Moss just mossing people, but uh, it's a great segment. All right. Uh, this is from La Crosse, Wisconsin. Prosecutors have accused a Minnesota man of using a Porsche as a battering ram to get his Nissan Altima out of a Wisconsin impound lot. <laughs> What? Wait, what? What? I'll read that again. <laughs> what? 
What? What? Come on. You can't be serious. Prosecutors have accused a Minnesota man of using a Porsche as a battering ram to get his Nissan Altima out of a Wisconsin impound lot. Nothing about this makes sense, dude. The Lacrosse Tribune reports that Benjamin uh, Benjamin Jerry or Gier of Lanesboro was charged on Thursday with operating a motor vehicle without the owner's consent, property damage, theft, and bail jumping. According to investigators, the 2019 Altima was impounded on November 6th after he was pulled over. Surveillance video shows him and an, an unidentified accomplice on the lot on Sunday. An unlocked 2012 Porsche with the keys inside was parked behind the Altima. The video shows the Porsche crashing through the lot's fence and a fence of a nearby house. The video shows the Altima driving through the hole in the fence. He was pulled over in Winona County, Minnesota, about an hour. So basically what he did was... It was his Porsche. This wasn't a stolen it was, Porsche. It was not his Porsche. From oh, what okay. I understand, all right. It was an, that it makes was, more sense. It was his Nissan Altima, right, in the impound lot. Yes, and it was boxed in by a Porsche that had the keys in it, and it was unlocked. And so he merely he didn't steal it. He kind of did, I guess. But Borrowed it. He uh he used it as a battering ram to a move it out of the way of his Nissan Altima. Okay, and that's B, actually create kind of, a that's, hole in the fence okay, so I he could drive guy, his Nissan Altima out of the. I thought this guy was the biggest idiot in the world that he <laughs> used his sense. own Porsche to crash <laughs> through the gate and get his Nissan Altima. <laughs> But if it's somebody else's Porsche... That's what I was thinking, too. I was really confused. I'm like, dude, points, you have a Porsche and you're points, worried about your Nissan? Points for Come innovation. On, points for creativity. Sure, yeah. yeah. Honestly, absolutely. I thought about doing this about four years ago. <laughs> <laughs> My car got repoed out of the work parking lot. And I A, the, the, first, the first challenge is finding which impound lot did your car go to, oh. because it's not like they leave a little tag in the parking spot that you're in. That's the worst. So you got to call like nine different impound lots. And then, of course, they're very happy and friendly on the phone or in person. Oh, yeah, super nice. It's like the most miserable people ever. The sweetest salt-of-the-earth people are working at impound lots. (laughs) Uh, The worst, okay, quick story. Have you guys ever just gotten totally jobbed? How many times have you guys had your cars towed in your life? Uh, Two or three times. I'm three. Okay. One was leave the car, uh, responsible adult decision, drank too much, leave the car at a meter, Go get it the next morning. Sure. And I didn't realize that. I love when the next words after responsible adult decision is drank too much. Yep. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> better than getting into the car, right? And, and the next morning went back, didn't realize that the meters turned back on at like 7 a.m. or something. And I went, I showed up at like 8.30 or 9 and they had. Kudos for getting there by 8.30 or 9 after drinking oh, too much. It was rough. I would have never made it. It probably wasn't safe. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, another time was getting my, I, I forgot to switch the auto pay account information over. And so, uh, my car got repossessed out of the work parking lot a few years ago. And that was, that was live on the show that happened. Uh, but the third time was, I can't decide if it was evil or genius or both. Mm-hmm. So Stub and Herbs Bar on campus. It's right next to TCF Bank Stadium yeah. and Williams Arena. Yeah. Old school campus bar. There used to be a pizza hut that shared the same parking lot. And, I don't know what it is now, but there's like a there's like a small little parking lot in the back of Stubborn Herbs, and then there's like Pizza Hut and a couple of things. And so there's signs in the parking lot that say this is for Stubborn Herbs parking, this is for Pizza Hut parking, and the only open spot was for Pizza Hut parking. But I was going into Stubborn Herbs. Okay. So, and, but there's there was a guy monitoring the parking lot, walking around on foot, making sure that and people, seeing where people were going after parking. So I park, and I get out of the car, and I say, "Hey, I just want to check with you, guy." who's looking over these parking spots. 
I'm parking in a Pizza Hut spot here, but I'm going to go in for like 30 minutes to get a beer inside Stubborn Herbs. Is that cool or should I move my car? Uh-huh. And he said, no, dude, don't worry about it. It's all good. I walk in. Literally was in there, ate some wings, oh, three minutes, came back out, my car was gone. Yeah, I would lose my damn mind. That guy's job was to have people towed. Wow. So he lied to me. Wow. To my face. And then had my car towed oh, for 250 Did he work for like the people who own the lot, or did he work for some impound company that wanted to rack up the toes? I'm not 100% sure, but there had to have been a commission in play. Wow. In other news. How about taking hot. someone's Porsche and ramming yeah. a hole in the No, fence? I would have. I definitely would have. This comes all the way from Kitchener, Wales, where uh, I can relate to this little girl. Um, get that drop. A schoolgirl was hospitalized. <laughs> a schoolgirl was hospitalized with constipation because her school's toilet roll policy left her with such bad anxiety she couldn't relieve herself when she needed to. Her mother has claimed... This sounds like it hits home for Rami. It really does. Kitchener Road Primary... Listen to this, man. In Cardiff, does not put toilet paper in the pupils' stalls. They call them toilet cubicles because it's Britain, but I'm going to call them stalls. Instead, the children aged 4 to 11 must take what they think they need from a single tissue dispenser in the public area before going in. If they need more, they have to go out again. This means some have soiled themselves and others are too anxious to relieve themselves properly, said Mother Famine Kanum, I think. Uh, Famine said her four-year-old daughter was admitted to University City Hospital in Wales for three days uh, for agonizing stomach pains, and it was diagnosed as constipation, something the child had not suffered before. Yeah, I that's mean, just cruel and unusual, dude. I mean, if, if that was a thing in America here, if you had to, I mean, let me ask it this way. They how, did this because kids were clogging up the toilets using too much paper. But how but many man, how many times out of 10 trips to the bathroom for toilets, that man. reason, how many times out of 10 do you know exactly before you sit down? All right, this is going to be a <laughs> it's going to be a five square yeah. trip. Because <laughs> I, never, right I, ne- I like, never know. I got a seven square trip. <laughs> I, never I need know. seven of those. And now you got to walk back out. Oh, oh! If I have to walk back out, it's going to be as awkward as possible for everybody. Right? Exactly. Like you're making, you're making me walk back out because you're too nervous about how how much rolls how much toilet paper I'm going to use. It's going to be awkward for everybody. And it's going to be a mess. Let's do, let's do one more before we wrap with the right All right. Um, a 31-year-old veteran Seattle Police Department captain was arrested by his fellow officers during a vice sting late Wednesday in an investigation of sexual exploitation. According to several sources, 53-year-old veteran Seattle Police Captain Randall Woolery offered $40 to an undercover officer who was posing as a prostitute, and he was arrested on the spot. He was one of five men arrested in the Aurora Sting, and according to jail records, he was booked and released in less than 30 minutes. You just put your own cuffs on if you're that guy, Nobody, right? Nobody gave this guy the heads up. <laughs> none, of, none of his boys in the police department gave him the heads up. Larry, Larry, like, hey, Larry, we have a sting going on. <laughs> Not one person. He didn't have one friend in the entire in the entire Seattle Police Department who could have helped him out. Amazing. That is in other news. Every like single these. Wednesday I'll at tell ten thirty. We uh, we take a break from the hard-hitting sports discussions. Oh, real quick before... Actually, Pat should be here for this. I have the results of my poll. Hello, Pat. How are you this evening? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. So, 74% of white people, according to my poll, do not have mac and cheese on their Thanksgiving mm-hmm. table. 
Um, 21% do, and 95% of people who voted were white, so I don't think <laughs> these poll results matter at all. It's not, it's not no, a good sample. No. That, is, uh, that is true. But, uh, you know, I think Manny should have us all over for dinner, don't you? <laughs> I'd go. See what, see what we got there. There's got to be some good stuff there. I'm down. I'm He's ready. from the South. He's from the South. It should be instant heart attack Thanksgiving, shouldn't it? Unbelievable. Man. So, uh, all right. So we, I, we... I'm at that beautiful uh, Target Center here. That's as as the uh, Timberwolves can repeat their fine performance on Monday. Okay, so maybe you can tell me if this is uh, hot take police uh, worthy. Or what was your hot take segment that you did for uh, for a year there? What's the what's the heat index on this? I think Carl okay. Anthony Towns. I think Carl Anthony Towns is one of the five best players in the NBA. Okay, right now. I don't. Where do you think he is? Twelfth, uh, maybe. I don't know. I'd have to. Uh, I'd have to write him down. I don't, uh, I'd say that maybe he threw 14 games, well, 12, because he didn't play two. But uh, I'd say that he's uh, certainly uh, playing the best he's played, but I don't think he's one of the five best players in the league. I would not, I would not uh, put him in that category because I still don't think he plays enough defense. I think, uh, I think, you know, and we can, it'll play out over the course of the season, but I think when you have a seven footer just casually bringing a team back with 24 footers from the top of the key, do you think guys like Hakeem Olajuwon, Patrick Ewing, do you think those guys would have adapted and shot threes if that was the way the game was played? Well, the only Ewing, Hakeem might have, but I don't think Ewing would have. Hakeem was an unbelievable uh, athlete and had unbelievable feet. Ewing was more of an inside, uh, tremendous athlete inside, but he didn't have the feet to be out on the court like Hakeem would have. So uh, I think Hakeem is uh, one of the probably the five or six best players in the history of the game who doesn't get mentioned that often. Yeah. He was fantastic. I uh, one of my favorite guys too. I had a chance to cover him uh, in a Final Four and also. Uh, you know, before a Final Four, and uh, was a uh, you know great, uh, a great big personality too, and a hell of a guy. Pat, how, what do you make of uh, Andrew Wiggins? Because I, I'm sure you've heard that our our guy Phil Mackey here, he's fully in on Andrew Wiggins, and we played a clip yes, of Tracy McGrady earlier, who hey, says he's in on Wiggins. Him. Okay, what was that? I'm uh, sorry. Who is Tracy who is McGrady? Who cares? All in. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, that's good. You know what, though? I was just looking at that draft he was in, Wiggy. Boy, did that draft stink. Do you know that this Noah Vonley was the number nine pick in the 2014 draft? Oof. How could a draft be that rotten? I don't get it. I'm actually writing an early something on this. How can you have, there's 353 Division One college basketball teams. There's the entire uh, continent of Europe uh, that has basketball players all over. And with thousands of players eligible, how could Noah Bonley get picked ninth? That's what I want. And then when you I go back, where yeah. are all the players? But it's not even like it's, it's yeah, Noah Vonley. I pulled the draft up here. How could there be that many crappy players in one draft, period, is another question, too. Yeah, and, of course, we've also had a draft where Anthony Bennett was number one, <laughs> you know. God almighty. It's it's unbelievable. It's always unbelievable to me how quickly the draft deteriorates. And, and it also explains why so many teams in the NBA tank, right? Because there's about five guys. And after that, you're, 
After that, you might as well be the baseball draft. The, two, in the first round. The two thousand four. Yeah, the two thousand fourteen draft. So two rounds, obviously. Had two all stars. So these guys have been playing for five years now. Two all stars: mm-hmm. Joel Embiid and uh, Nikola Jokic was was a, the forty first overall pick. All star. Yeah, that's it, Pat. Well, once in a while you get you know once in a while you get the Euro later on and do you know ends up developing and stuff like that. But uh, uh, it, it's it's incredible to me how, how this works. I'm, I'm uh, uh, what what it's become. From the middle of the first round till these guys they're taken to the summer league like Keelan Martin, they're the same. <laughs> you know, the guy you're taking to the summer league, the one who was playing so much attention to the summer league now, there's 15, 20 players coming out of there who's just as good as some of your second half of the first round players. But isn't this isn't this kind of every sport, Pat? I know not every draft is going to be as bad as that particular one that we're talking about here, but... Scouting from high school to college, from college to the pros, it's largely a crapshoot when you look at the results that you get after the evaluations that you get. And it shouldn't be that. You're saying it shouldn't be that way in basketball. You only take it. I mean, you're only looking for one out of five guys, right, to come. But uh, I think also the combination of skills it takes to be a difference maker in the NBA is probably a little higher than than everybody else. I mean, there's a, it's a league where you want four guys who can do one thing and then one guy can do everything, right? That's basically about it when you put them out there on the floor. So it's, it's weird to me though, that, uh, that a guy like that who played at a bad Indiana team and averaged 11 and a half points a game can be the ninth overall pick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pat, we 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 cut off yesterday your uh, hot stove discussion. So uh, you got we got a, several minutes here. The floor is yours if you want to deliver any more reckless speculation or any uh, any hot hot stove takes. Go ahead. I uh, I don't know. Tell me where you guys are on Jose Barrios. I mean, they need him obviously in their current situation, but is he going to be a star? I think he's. I don't think he's ever going to be. A Max Scherzer level star, even though he might have no. the stuff, but I think he's going to be a really, really good. I think number two starting pitcher on a playoff team. I think there's a difference between a number one starter and a true ace. I think there's only a handful of true aces oh, yeah. around Major League yeah. Baseball at any given time. I think he's a number one starter, but maybe never reaches true ace status. Yeah, I just uh, I I don't know where they're going to go, but. If I if I had a chance to make a blockbuster trade and somebody else was going to give me a damn fine pitching prospect, I would not uh, like my Matt Chapman trade. I would not uh, be quaking in my boots about giving up Jose rather than having to give Jose a hundred million in a couple of years. And your Matt Chapman so. trade came up earlier on the show, Pat, and I said I'm all for it. Matt Chapman is one of the best young players in this game and arguably the best third baseman in this game. I just need to know what's the next domino to fall in terms of what you're doing about your pitching staff because you already only had two starters for a playoff series le- a season ago. Oh, that's true. You got to, you know, you got to do plenty. There's, uh, there's no doubt about it. Here's, here's the worst thing for the Twins. Nobody's ready. You know, nobody's ready. Of their, you know, they got some position players who look like they might be a year away. Kirloff and Lewis, and maybe even Larnick, but they don't. Uh, there's no pitcher that looks like he's that close. Yeah, we're, like, how far is Balzovich? He's he's probably 2021. 
God, I hope he's not. I hope he's a long way away. I hope he's retired. I'm retired before he gets here because, A, I won't be able to pronounce it, and B, I won't be able to spell it. So. <laughs> it's nice, like when Nina Ryder got traded, I was the happiest man in town. So my four, my four hockey gowns a year, I wouldn't have to misspell his name. Uh, you can call so, it. Uh, Nino is good enough for him. Nino, Nino is good enough for him. But, yeah, I they just don't have one. You know, they don't, uh, I, as I said, uh, you got to you got to get a hold of Fernando Romero and make him into a starter again. They got to they got to get that pipeline going for pitching. They're okay on position players, but I, I don't know. I I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be fearful of trading two outfielders if I if I you know Eddie and Buxton if I had to uh, go get a you know if I could go get a couple of pitchers yeah. or a guy like Matt Chapman I'd trade them both. Yeah, the hard part is so, like you. You fall in love, and I'm guilty. You fall in love with what Buxton could be, as opposed to what Buxton yeah. is, and that's what's mm-hmm. tough. Yeah, and as you give him up, you'd have to give him up for something really good, you know, like Matt Chapman. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yep. And then you can get somebody else to play. Uh, you know, find somebody to play center field. Now, it's not as easy. We don't want to go back to the Cleet Thomas days, so uh, you know, the Cleet Thomas era. And I don't want to see Kepler having to play right center field either. Do you? So, no, I mean, although I do kind of miss too much strain on him. I do kind of miss Cleet Thomas. Not gonna lie. Hey, well, that was fun. Was, he, was, area, it, yeah. was it Cleet's dad that got Cleet's uncle? Cleet's, Cleet's uncle would tweet at tweet at the uh, the beat writers. Cleet's hey, hey, I read your story. Where's Where's the Cleet? Cleet went one for four. I know, I know, <laughs> Mike. Whatever. All right, Pat. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> See you, James. What's right. Judley? Uh, Judley's drinking in New York the next few days. Oh well, that's good. That's good. He he can. That that's good. He doesn't get high enough price price beer here. Okay. <laughs> All right. See you, Pat. Mackie and Jeb with Rami. Back with you tomorrow. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.